comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. out now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe is running late, possibly not here, but we'll see. Um, anyway. Out he's lurking now. in the shadows. Yep, he's lurking in the shadows. Out Now is a film podcast. It's Abe and I discussing new movies weekly. We also bring a discussion about the latest movie trailers, box office results, and predictions, a callback to past films similar to the main film of the week, games, and other fun stuff. We're going to just basically cross off most of those things and talk about one main film of the week, because this is part two of our Dark Knight Rises podcast episode thing. And, uh, yeah, the uh, previous episode should have been the spoiler-free version of our Dark Knight Rise review. And now I'm back with an almost all-new panel of guests to talk about Dark Knight Rises some more, but this time with plenty of spoilers to go around. So, joining uh, joining me to discuss the Dark Knight Rises, we have writer for Huffington, Huffington Post and Mendelssohn's Memos, the co-writer of the League of Shadows Handbook, Scott Mendelssohn. Good evening, how you doing? The writer for the VHS Diaries, Mr. DVD himself, the man who burned the whole forest down, Alan Aguilera. Hello. Writer for Damn Dirty Blog, the man who has broken both his soul and his body, Jordan Grout. Hello. <laughs> writer for Things I Know About the Movies and Movie Smackdown, the bat, the cat, and the penguin, Adam Gentry. Good morning, Gotham. <laughs> and yeah, okay. How are we all doing? Answer all at once. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. Uh, a few announcements before we get underway. iTunes reviews and ratings, always simple to do, very quick. Easy thing, helps out the show. You'd feel good. I think we actually got a few new ones recently, which makes me pretty happy. It's nice to, nice to get about. Um, also, I mentioned previously Comic-Con coverage. I did a lot of work at Comic-Con, and I put it all at whysoblue.com, so you know, feel free to go there and check it out. And, uh, yeah, I think we're just let's just kind of get right into it. Before we get into the movie, I want, um, we since we're treated to having Scott here, I'm just going to ask him if he could go over what happened with the box office since we kind of tabled that on our previous episode. Let's see if he can, you know, give it a little more detail. So, Scott, you want to... Okie dokie. Uh, long story short, The Dark Knight Rises debuted with $160 million over the weekend. Now, that's the third biggest debut in history behind Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows with $169 million and The Avengers with $207 million. Now, both of those films were in 3D, while The Dark Knight Rises was in mere 2D. Now, if you do the math, arguably had the film been in 3D, it probably would have done around $185, $190 million. So realistically speaking, The Avengers was never really in any jeopardy. Now, you're going to hear a lot of people talking about how the uh, the shootings that took place on Friday morning at the midnight showing in Colorado somehow affected the weekend box office. And considering there's never actually been a modern mass shooting in a movie theater at the midnight before of opening weekend for a major movie like this, it's kind of hard to say whether or not it did affect it. We're dealing completely uncharted territory here. Having said that, if you look at the numbers, the 
Friday numbers, the midnight numbers, the Saturday numbers, the Sunday numbers, what you get is a film that played pretty much as, uh, pretty similarly to The Dark Knight four years ago on the same weekend. Um, the only difference is that it had a much bigger midnight number. This film had $30 million in midnight alone. That's the second biggest midnight number of all time behind Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, which had $43 million. The Dark Knight had $18 million four years ago, which at the time was a record. Now, the first day was about $75, 76000000 million, meaning that it did 40% of its business on Friday at midnight alone. That's the, the third biggest uh, midnight to Friday ratio in history behind the third Twilight film, which did about nah, 46% of its money at midnight uh, for Friday, and Harry Potter uh, 7.2, which did about 42 43% of its money. I don't have the exact figures in front of me right now. So through the weekend, it did a 2.13 weekend multiplier, did $160 million off a $75, $76 million uh, Friday compared to the 2.235 weekend multiplier for The Dark Knight. Now, what that means is even if, you know, let's pretend the shooting did not occur, basically that would mean that The Dark Knight Rises played like basically a slightly more anticipated, slightly more front-loaded genre sequel compared to The Dark Knight. Now, that makes sense for a couple reasons. First and foremost, it's part three, which inherently is going to be more anticipated than part two, especially where you have a part two that was far more universally beloved and far more financially successful than the first film, Batman Begins. Uh, everybody likes Batman Begins, but it was not the cultural phenomenon that The Dark Knight was. Moreover, I would argue that The Dark Knight Rises is not the cultural phenomenon that The Dark Knight was. But we're gonna, we might get into that later when we talk about the movie. But point being, what you have here is a very front-loaded sequel that played like a Harry Potter sequel or a Twilight sequel. Where you have the hardcores that all went as early as humanly possible. And you might not have that much of a breakout for you know the general audiences. Those that thought that The Dark Knight seemed kind of interesting because, hey, look, it's Batman versus the Joker. Hey, look, it's Heath Ledger playing the Joker. Hey, look, Heath Ledger died in January. Uh, which... You know, let's be honest, that did help the film in turn of making it into a somewhat of a cultural event. If for no other reason than Heath Ledger's death got the film mainstream news attention in any number of outlets such as tabloids, where there otherwise people would not have been reading about The Dark Knight. Four years later, you had the sequel where the question is, do general audiences that checked out The Dark Knight out of curiosity care that much about Batman versus Bane, played by that guy you probably haven't heard of, even if you know his face from a couple other movies. You know, I don't think that many people are going to go, wow, it's Batman versus Bane, played by that guy from Warrior and Star Trek Nemesis and Bronson. I've seen none of those films. Um, I, I, Sorry, it's true. Um, you know, Tom Hardy is one of those guys that, you know, all the film nerds like to talk about, but for general audiences, they have no idea who he is. It's almost, to a certain extent, almost a Jared Harris in Sherlock Holmes 2 type situation where they went for a good actor versus a star. But again, we're talking about a $160 million opening weekend, third biggest of all time, uh, second or biggest 2D opening of all time. Even if it plays like a Harry Potter sequel where you get a 2.0 multiplier, 2.2 multiplier, whatever, you're still looking at a movie that's going to do 325 to $375 million in America alone. It's not a flop. Punch the first guy in the face that tells you it's a flop. 
punched the first guy in the face twice that says, wah, wah, didn't do as much as the Avengers did. It's a disappointment. The Dark Knight was lightning in a bottle. The Avengers is lightning in a bottle. The Dark Knight Rises is arguably, you know, a somewhat steroid-infused version of Transformers 3, where you have a, you know, a, a, a third film that's incredibly popular by any reasonable standard, but isn't just, you know, quote-unquote lightning in a bottle. It's not a cultural phenomenon compared to the last one. Did the shooting affect the film? You could argue that without the shooting, the film might have done $170 million over opening weekend. But don't listen to anyone that says that, oh, if not for the uh, Colorado shooting, the film would have magically done $200 million. It was never going to happen. The Dark Knight Rises is a sequel to a well-loved film, The Dark Knight, but that's all it is. It's not you know, a perfect storm where everything went right. Heck, I would argue that Warner Brothers made a big mistake by hiding the reviews to the last minute. So going into Friday, the big news wasn't, wow, the reviews are mostly pretty good. The big news was, hey, look, all the idiot fanboys online are sending out death threats against the people that don't like the movie. That's not the kind of publicity you want for regular general audiences for your opening weekend. So long story short, to tie this up, it's a phenomenal opening weekend by any normal standard. It might have been slightly impacted by this, the shootings. Uh, we'll see as the weekend numbers or as the weekday numbers come in. If there's a you know very large weekday numbers and a relatively small decline over next weekend, then you're going to say, yeah, a lot of people that want to see it next weekend, that weekend stayed home out of fear or whatever reason. But I will say this. If there is an effect that these shootings add over the movie, it's going to decimate everything else in the marketplace. The Watch, uh, Step Up 4, uh, The Amazing Spider-Man, Ice Age 4. Because if you have somebody that wanted to see The Dark Knight Rises last weekend and didn't go for whatever reason related to the shooting, and then they do go to the movies next weekend, they're not going to see The Watch. They're not going to see The Amazing Spider-Man. They're going to go see The Dark Knight Rises. And that's going to have a devastating impact on everything else in the marketplace. That's the end of that rant. Oh, all right. So, yeah, okay, we got the box office out of the way. Just wanted to do that. So now we can just kind of get in back into The Dark Knight Rises again. Um just to, because Adam and I were both, we both talked about it already, to just, to, to boil down our, our thoughts, I could say that I really enjoyed the movie and Adam was massively disappointed by it. Fair, Adam? Fair enough, fair enough. Okay, so with that said, let's start with Jordan. What did you think of The Dark Knight Rises? Uh, it's my least favorite in the trilogy, but I still loved it. I, I still had a great time with it. It's, it. it's the one film that raises the most questions. And it, I feel like I missed a lot of the film walking out. Like I feel there was probably like 30 minutes that they cut out that hopefully one day if he releases a director's cut, they'll be back in. Um, but we'll, we'll talk about more about questions I have later on. But Alan. I really liked it. Um, there were a lot of, a lot of questions that people bring up. It doesn't bother me, especially in the summer with Prometheus and amazing Spider-Man. Um, it's almost the summer of the loop of the plot holes. And, for Dark Knight to have those plot holes and for Dark Knight to not live... Uh, I'm sorry, Dark Knight Rises not to live up to the Dark Knight, I'm fine with because it was never going to be that. Um, I kind of see the Dark Knight as a classic superhero crime film. Uh, this one I see more of a classic terrorist crime, like terrorist superhero movie, like how a superhero would kind of deal with the, with the terror plot. So I kind of have them on different levels, but I do enjoy it very much. There are certain plot holes in the film that I will let go because... Nolan, through studio pressure and fan pressure, has to fit in a lot to close off this trilogy. Um, I enjoyed it. Um, I, I liked it more than Avengers. Um, I, I'm, I was a fan. Um, it's probably on the same level with me and 
begins, but I do hold The Dark Knight a little bit a little bit more because that movie is just impeccably paced and really, really good. And, and Lightning in a Bottle, as Scott said. So, Scott, what do you think? Uh, I was mixed negative on the film. I was not expecting a film as good as The Dark Knight. To me, that was the Batman movie I'd waited my entire life to see that mostly delivered, give or take a few nagging issues here and there. Um, I wasn't even expecting a movie as good as Batman Begins, which arguably is, in my opinion, as good at, as The Dark Knight. It just does different things better and different things worse. I was just hoping for a good, rock-solid Batman drama that closed out the series. And frankly, I, did, I, felt I, didn't get, I felt I didn't get that. I was not as bothered by the various plot holes. I think they're fun to talk about. I mean, there's a few dumb things in The Dark Knight. Uh, there's a few dumb things in Batman Begins. Uh, rewatching both of them a f- just a few hours before I went to see The Dark Knight Rises, the last 15 minutes of Batman Begins are really silly. Yes. And and there's some there's some <laughs> mm-hmm. you know you know pardon me I've been a city destroyed. And you know there's some silly stuff in in The Dark Knight. The biggest being you know where Batman never goes back to his pet house after he rescues Rachel Dawes. You know no word if the Joker just killed everybody there and left. But I think the plot hole stood out more in this film because it was less entertaining overall. There's a big chunk of the middle where I was frankly kind of bored. Uh, I have my reason. I have my theories on this. Uh, the big thing is that the film is, in my opinion, terribly paced. It takes half of its running time to get to what should be the inciting incident of the film, mm-hmm. which is Batman confronts Bane and gets his butt kicked, and Bane you know, announces himself to Gotham and attacks the city. That should be the end of Act 1. And as a result of that not really occurring until about an hour and 20 minutes into the film, give or take, what you have is basically the, the meat of the story, which is Gotham under siege, as one giant, you know, 10-minute montage, which basically skips the most important part of the story, which is how this affects the citizens of Gotham. Now, I'll get into this a little bit later. We deal with, you know, the alleged politics of the film. I frankly think the film is apolitical, whether intentional or not, and and I think it just throws in topicality to the point where it almost feels like an exploitation film. But again, I'll get to that later. I think the my biggest problem with the film is that really when you get down to it, when you get to the end of the movie, you realize, due to a certain, a few last-minute revelations, almost nothing major that happens in the film is of any consequence in terms of how the story turns out. Um, what do you mean by that? Basically, because Miranda Tate is Talia al Ghul, and they don't tell you that till the last 10 minutes of the movie, and you realize, hey, Talia could have just walked into Wayne Enterprises at any moment and gotten that nuclear bomb at any moment and blown up the city at any moment that really nothing that Bane did mattered. You know, and and it, it sort of, you know, I felt in a pace, you know, in terms of a beat by beat, every time something big happens, it basically negates what happened before. The entire first chunk of the film of Batman regaining his mojo again is completely reset when Batman gets his ass kicked by Bane and sent back to the prison, or he has to be reborn again. You know, from a plot standpoint, what's the point of him seeing you know, Batman regaining his mojo when you're just going to see him be broken again and have to recover again and get his fighting spirit again. It's, it's to a certain extent, it's the same problem I have with the first Iron Man movie, but more so, which the entire second act of Iron Man is watching Tony build his suit again to no particular purpose in that case until, hey, look, Terra showed up. Now I can do something useful. And then you have the entire chunk of the third act where you have Gordon and, and Lucius Fox and John Blake working together to try to find the bomb and dismantle the bomb. Well, that ends up being basically a failure 
So in the end, Batman has to ride to the rescue and, you know, ride the bomb off to Gotham City. Well, then as a result, all of what we were watching of, of Gordon and, and Lucius Fox and, and John Blake trying to get the bomb and find the bomb and, and dismantle the bomb ends up being a waste of time. The whole sideline of John Blake, you know, having to rescue as many people from Gotham as he can. Well, he gets there and the cops blow up the bridge. The army blows up the bridge. They're all going to die anyway. Well, what was the point of that? I mean, there are character beats that are interesting in those moments, you know, especially in the first act, the first half of the film, you know, the, 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 the Bruce Alfred stuff, uh, some of the Jim Gordon dealing with him being emotionally wrecked over the last eight years. But when you get right down to it, since nothing they do in the first act of the film prevents Bane from doing anything he was going to do anyway, everything that happens in the first hour and 10 minutes of the film is pointless from a plot point of view. And my big problem with the film is that really there is a, there, there is a lack of consequence to everything that happens almost up to the end. Because if you get right down to it, you know, Talia al Ghul can do what she wanted to do at any point during the movie or really at any point in the last eight years and chooses not to. And it's only because she magically reveals herself at the end that Batman has to then fly the bomb off and save the city. Could she really like just go anytime and just and, and automatically sink her plan up? It seems like if they waited eight years that they must have been doing a hell of a lot of planning to get everything done. Well, I think with that is that one, she's a member of the League of Shadows and Trace Al Ghul. And there's almost this entire need of theatricality because at any point she could have kind of done that. But she kind of wanted to show what was going to happen and how it was going to decimate Western civilization and start everything anew. It was all a point of showing a big elaborate ploy of showing the world. Cause she could have blown something up and then talked about it before. And it really would have had a resonance that they, that the league of shadows wanted. So it was always about building up to that point and to that climax, whether things like build up and then negate at the end, that's fine. I don't mind that because that's just conflict. You know, you're kind of, yeah, that's conflict. That's fine. You're raising stakes at that point. If you watch the first Indiana Jones film, he always fails. He fails to save... I forget her name. Marion. Marion. Yeah, Marianne. She, he fails Marianne. to save her. Boom. It just completely grows until the end when you're finally successful and it's this moment of elation from the audience and, oh, they finally did it. And that's what happened when Batman actually had to take care of the bomb himself. So whether or not negates it, that's fine. As long as we're getting character beats and it's not a... It's, it may be a waste of time for them to even try because that's a defeatist mentality. Like, oh... Well, if they weren't even going to be successful, then why bother us? Why, why even bother showing us that? Well, it's also part of life where you kind of have to build up. If you fail, you fail, but you keep going and you keep moving that plot. It's also kind of to show how destructive Bane is and kind of build up Bane. Like that entire first act, you're building up to try to prevent Bane. Bane is essentially saying, not on my watch and just knock everybody back down and resets it at zero. That's where I'm coming from. Well, my, my problem, I mean, again, I, I like the first half of the film where mm -hmm. I felt, frankly, most of the character beats were. I feel the film becomes more, wrong word, but bear with me, or procedural in the second half of the film, where it's, you know, basically plot-driven. You know, everything that happens is because, the, you know, for plot-related reasons. Thus, you know, so many of the, for lack of a better word, fake-outs that occur, there's not really much else for you to sink your teeth into. Um, I think there's things involving, my, involving like, Cat, like, a, Cat, like Selena Kyle's character, or even, uh, in, I mean, Bruce Wayne and Blake. Um, but again, I felt most of the good stuff in that was in the first half of the film. And as far as, you know, Talia showing the world, and this is my other problem with the film, you know, the idea that work, you know, that really all she was showing the world is that, hey, look, a really scary terrorist took over the city is now going to blow them up. You know, the idea that, oh, you have to rise against your oppressors and, you know, income, you know, equality, you know, 
whatever political parables Chris Nolan was trying to draw by refu- really refusing to show the normal people of Gotham reacting to this in any real way. It pretty much negates any kind of social construct the film was trying to make. It is something it, that is something I agree with, just because you, yeah. know, you you really you don't see like the middle class, like you don't see no. you don't see much of what happened to Gotham in this matter in the the the, what, the two months that like transpired of all this hostile takeover of the city. You don't really you see cops get trapped somewhere and like the high class get pulled out of un, from under their dressers, but like you don't really see anything else that if, happens to Gotham. If, if I may, I mean the one thing that I think is, is really cool about the Dark Knight is. At the end of that film, the middle class, you know, the, the average person, and even the lower classes too, with the criminals, you know, the the average person in Gotham is revealed to be a pretty, pretty decent human being. You know, they have the chance to to blow each other, but the, the Joker's sick experiment, and they, you know, they choose not to. So I feel like they've already kind of passed that test. Exactly. So for me, then when you have in the Dark Knight Rises, you know, Bane talks his good, all this French Revolution, you know, pseudo stuff. Then you know basically he's saying that they're, oh they're all going to revert to to animal savagery and we've already seen that they won't so it doesn't quite work for me on that level and you know moreover you know we again we we don't see really any to a certain extent any negative consequence I mean even the one scene where we're shown the death by exile the old ice thing you know the film frankly wimps out by having the person being killed in that scene a bad guy I mean I'm at you know I don't want to do the film I would have made because that's not good criticism. But imagine how much more effective the film would have been if that scene had been just a regular rich guy with his family going, you know, please don't kill daddy. Or that one Wayne board member that volunteered himself. Yeah, exactly. They could have done that. But instead, they do a guy that, you know, isn't just a rich guy. He's a villain. He worked for the evil, you know, Daggett. Basically, well, we, also got, um, we got the people that got hanged in the bridge. Like, I, I, are, I know those are cops. Yeah, okay. I, I know. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Though I, I do. special um, forces. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I don't want to be callous yeah, here, know, but know, most action films treat cops and security guards like you know flies anyway. I would have liked to have less of the board members at the beginning and more of Gotham City during the siege. Like yes. I felt those board members just went on for way too long, and like yeah, they just eventually die and. They, they really have no impact on the film. And I think that the problem with the film overall, in terms of its would-be political subtext, is that instead of showing Gothamites, it uses the main characters to represent certain facets of Gotham in ways that don't make sense. You know, basically, the the poor is represented by Selena Kyle. And I'm sorry, when I think of poor people, I don't think of Anne Hathaway looking arguably as attractive as she's ever looked in her entire life, <laughs> wearing, you know, $100 dresses... That she's in an awesome apartment. Times. That apartment, that <laughs> apartment know, was awesome. Doing triple black flips in, you know, as Catwoman. Um, yeah, and apartment even, must you know, have been like three grand a month. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, the representation of the rich is basically the Wayne board members. Like, no, those are normal, you know, those are main characters. That's just Wayne Enterprises. So much of Bane's scheme is centered around Wayne Enterprises, which makes sense. I'm not saying that's, that's a problem. But we never see how any other rich people are affected by this. The only... You know, displaced people we see are the members of the Wayne board, which, well, for arguably, they could have been picked on for a specific reason, which negates the whole everyday people being victimized angle. And, you know, who are the everyday victims? You know, Jim Gordon and John Blank, the top cop in the city and his protege. Again, not everyday people as most people would think of them as. Those people at the football game didn't get to see their favorite players. The- no, they did not. <laughs> um, and... You know, again, you're you're trying to get the people of Gotham, the regular people, to join up on you by killing their football team. 
Again, I don't want to get into wham-wham plot holes, but football is a pastime of regular people. And I, I yes, Bane says right, you know, from the get-go, ha-ha, I'm just lying, none of this is true, but I, I found it illogical and plausible that anyone would buy the lie that he is telling. You know what, I want to kind of jump on Bane a little bit, if I may. Um, yeah. It's kind of, okay, I love the character of Bane from the comic series. I think he's a brilliant villain. I think he's one of the best Batman villains, and arguably, I'm not saying I buy it, but arguably he's the best Batman villain ever. And one thing I, I love about his character is just the way he, in, in the comic series, you know, he hates Batman from his, from his childhood. He's raised kind of by this priest in this terrible prison, and he hears these stories about Batman and how Batman's inherently good, and he saves the city, and he just has this hatred of Batman because Batman is free and, and all, this, all this stuff. And so in the film, you know, obviously the mask is kind of in the way, and that kind of obstructs some things, but something doesn't feel right about Bane. I mean, he talks this good game about the French Revolution and whatnot, and it wasn't until the very end of the film that I realized, you know, I really think Bane lacks conviction. I mean, if you look at Ra's al Ghul, you know, his organization, you know, it's their job to destroy civilization. So he's fully committed. You know, the Joker is like the epitome of the anarchist ideal in the series. You know, he destroys things for the fun of it. And he tries to turn people against each other for the fun of it. Bane is a puppy dog who's in love with Talia and will do anything she tells him. He doesn't actually believe any of the stuff he's saying. And for me, that really shoots him in the foot as far as his credibility goes. I don't know if we could rule out that he doesn't care, believe in anything that he's saying just because he's in love with Talia. Well, if Talia told him to go somewhere else and do something else, he would do it gladly. He wouldn't. You know, if she told him to go wait tables in a French restaurant, he'd go wait tables. Well, he was about to, you know, just just blow Batman's head off of a shotgun, despite the fact that he told she told her not to. This is true. Um, I, I I agree with you, and that's frankly, I think a core of a lot of my problems is frankly the very fact that Ayagul is in the movie. Because if you remove that reveal, then basically Bane is Bane. He's the one yeah. who's doing all this. And you know, if Batman doesn't stop Bane, then Gotham's gonna die. But as it stands now, the way the plot is 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 structured, it is irrelevant whether or not Batman defeats Bane. It is exactly because it's, it's it's going to the core is either going to you know, explode on its own or it's going to be detonated. But either way, they're yeah. going to die. And he gains nothing by defeating Bane. And you know be, because they waited so long to reveal Taya Al Ghul. And if you want to play that card, fine. But have it happen in the beginning of the third act. And oh my God, it's Taya Al Ghul, and she just killed Lucius Fox. Horrors, you know, offhand. But you know by leaving it the last minute. For one thing, it's annoying because I imagine. 90% of the hardcore fans in the theater knew she was Talia al Ghul just from, you know, guesstimation anyway. I did. Yep. <laughs> yeah, even even if you didn't know for sure, you pretty much assumed. It's like it's like watching, you know, the picture of Dorian Gray and waiting, waiting, waiting. Hey, look, it's the picture that ages with him. I know that because I know what the movie's the book's called. Again, I'm getting slightly off track here. Shocker, I know. I'm not a huge fan of the, the character of Bane just because I thought the way he was introduced in Nightfall 19 years ago was somewhat of a, a Mary Sue. I like some of his later stories where he you know hangs out with Leslie Tompkins and stuff like that. But I felt, as you said, he he, he lacks conviction, as, as that's true. And he seems to go out of his way not to kill people because the plot demands this not be too nasty of a movie. There's no yeah. good reason for him not to kill all those cops other than, oh, no. This PG-13 film just slaughtered 3,000 people and or we need those cops for the action climax. Yeah. And again, you know, there's no reason for him, if he's planning on killing everybody anyway, there's no reason not to, to basically do a wholesale slaughter of Gotham 
you know, whenever he feels like it. At least with the Joker, he was trying to make a point of driving the city nuts with as little violence as humanly possible to show that, you know, this is all it takes, you know, gasoline and a couple bullets or whatever. You know, the point of his scheme was look how little it takes for the city to go nuts and for the city to then, you know, basically kill each other. Um, but with Bane, he's going to kill everybody anyway. He's going to let the bomb go off. That's, you know, nothing can stop that from happening. Yet he goes out of his way to, you know, let people live and arguably let people be, you know, all the social services of Gotham seem to work. Trash gets picked up on time. You know, the, the, there's no rioting in the streets. <laughs> Trash um, gets picked up on time. You know, there's yeah, no real dirty. crime. There's no real crime other than the show trials that Jonathan Crane runs, which, dear God, what a breath of fresh air it was to see him. <laughs> you know, as, as someone that really wasn't into Bane, it's like, oh, real villainy at last. Thank you. I have, I have a question about the League of Shadows, just to, kind of, just to go way off. Um, at what? So if Gotham's in peace for like eight years following the following Batman taking the fall for Joker and or for Two Face or yeah. Harvey, why did the League of Shadows need to take down Gotham? Like it seemed like everything worked out fine. You are correct, and that's one of my problems with the movie. <laughs> it's like, I, well, I was thinking. Well, here's here's my here's my question, Aaron. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> why not? Well, well because in, in Batman in Batman Begins, as I was as I recall, I mean the League of Shadows was taking down Gotham because it was just a cesspool of terrible things going down and corrupt well, and maybe the mob the was everywhere. Just, maybe the League of Shadows are just suckers for nostalgia. <laughs> I think it's one of those things where, I mean, like, Talia's like, this is my dad's last wish. Right. I'm going to carry out his last wish and yada. Well, it's like, I mean, everything was good. <laughs> there was, there was... And, and, and again, that's the problem with having Miranda, you know, Talia Ghul be the mastermind. Well, if it's just it, Bane, I mean, the idea of yeah. Bane being the son is a pretty freaking cool idea. I mean, I was sitting there in the theater and they're like, so Bane is Ra's al Ghul's son. And I'm like, oh my God, that's awesome. But then when the movie jerks it back and is like, no, just kidding. I, I, yeah. That was frustrating. Wait, who here has seen it again? I have. Who's seen I it have. more than once? I have not. I've seen nope. it twice. Yeah, I've seen it twice. Jordan, have you? Yeah. Yeah. So the ones who've liked it have seen it twice. <laughs> so I was going through it because they kind of don't, if you look at it, because there's a scene where they show Bane getting injured and then the doctor looking him over and un- unveiling the fate. But when you see the kid climbing up, there's nothing on his face. There's, there's no. When you see Tally climbing up, there's nothing obstructing her view. She's perfectly fine. She makes a jump, and we still see it. And we see all those flashbacks to that story, but they never kind of give it away that Bane. We just Bruce Wayne makes the assumption that Bane is. Well, he out. has that. He has that stupid vision that reveals information he wouldn't have known any other way aside from him suddenly having a vision and seeing cosmic vibrations, I disagree which is with that. weird. I, I don't think he gains any information that he didn't already, I couldn't already have picked up. Well, and, the, and that's why that flat, that, that Razagul appearance is a waste of time. Oh, it, I hate that. No, it's not. It's, it's Liam Neeson on your television well, or on your movie. That's I not a waste I, of time. I would have loved it if at the end of the film, you know, Liam Neeson as Razal Ghul had turned out not to have died and Batman Begins. I mean, I would have rolled with that. Yeah, there's much a, more than just having Talia. If right, if right next to the the big pit of of whatever, there was a Lazarus pit also. There's yeah, totally. Well, again, the the problem with the cameo is that it it purely exists to give false information in an already very long movie. You know, the mm-hmm. film is you know the third act is so bloated that you get two origins for Bane. One of which Here's is my question. False. Yeah. Why? Okay. The plot to um, trap the cop that should have been their plan A and Batman Begins. Like, why was that their plan B? Like, Batman would have lost in Batman Begins. Like, hands yeah. down. And the, the whole time Trial watching, and error, I was Jordan. Like, Trial this, and error. This really, this really should have been their plan A. Wait, wait, why, why would the, he have lost if he trapped the cops? They they already got all the cops off on the island. Well, and we, gassed anyway. well, because Batman was still 
becoming Batman, and he oh, was oh, oh. not as experienced in. Mm, I don't know if I agree with that. If I recall from Batman Begins, every every cop on the island gets gassed. And they make a reference that Gordon's the only one on the island that can help them. The bridges are sealed off, and then whoosh, the tumbler rides into the narrows with the big triumphant music. Yeah, so basically, right. it's Batman versus everybody but, else. But still, like, no aren't there other cops? You know, no, no, it's just Gordon. No, all the cops are on the island, and they were all gassed, yeah. and Jordan's, uh, Gordon's the only a one good, that was inoculated. A good chunk yeah. of the cops are on the island somewhere on the other side. So. Now, uh, Mr. Loeb, you know, there's no one else, Jim. There's no one else. Yeah. At that Which, point, the tumbler was made as a bridge builder, right? Y- yes. Yes. So why didn't he just have like a string or something at the end of that to build the bridge? <laughs> That's a great question. That's what the I was hoping for. Bridge jumper. I was, I was hoping there'd be multiple well, tumblers building bridges since they blew. Well, that, like now that all the like, do anybody think you know crazy conspiracy theorists are going to think that Wayne Enterprises only blew up those bridges? He was behind Bane, so you can use the tumblers to make bridges for Gotham. <laughs> <laughs> Re- rebuild his empire through the use of civil engineering. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the problems with, with, with the arguably one of the dumber threads, which is the whole Bruce Wayne going bankrupt thing, which adds nothing to the plot and only leave and only, you know, serves to make the ending not make a lot of sense and leave Gotham in a giant, frankly, crap hole because Bruce Wayne's not there to help them build them back up again. Because, I mean, you everybody know, knows the easiest way for you to get home from a prison pit in Tunisia is as somebody who's completely broke, you know, yeah. with no resources yeah. of your own whatsoever. And you make it back in a couple hours. Exactly. He's Batman. <laughs> we don't we don't technically know how long it took him to go back. What long? How long? Um, what time frame? I, there is there's a time issue in this movie that's kind of awkward because the movie you know starts eight years after the second, and then that plane thing happens, which takes place what like six, six, months, six before. months before the events of the film start, and then there's two months of Bruce Wayne. See though that that's all really poorly poorly handled because I mean like he's supposed to say. spend five <laughs> he's supposed to spend five months in the pit and you're like what. It feels like three weeks, pretty much. And you know, I agree. You know, we don't it feels we like don't a know we don't know how long he's there with his broken back before he decides to heal himself. Because I mean, we the best know. way to the best way to fix you know a contusion where your vertebrae is sticking out is to get punched in the back and then just hang from like a nice rope and pulley system. Hey, you Listen, Adam, I don't like I don't like your first world you know hoity toityness. You don't know how they do it down there. <laughs> There's no school like in the old school. What was the time gap between Bat Begins and Dark Knight? Six months. About six months a year. Yeah, six months to a year. Six months? Yeah, huh. about a year. Joker makes a reference, you know, flashback a year ago. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, that's right. That's uh, right. Enough, so time, for, enough time for Joker. Like, not that long in this trilogy. Yeah, he was Batman for about, what, like a year and a half? Yeah. And that's like actually... At the, of, at the end of Begins, they got the Joker card, which is, the, you know, yeah. he's on the... They got to get, get on that guy. Which they apparently... He does nothing but rob banks for the next year. But it's, whatever. That's what, what you do. If you're, if you're good at something, you never do it for free. Exactly. Um, that's, that's why I no. quit Facebook. <laughs> um, wait, does that mean I'm getting paid for this? <laughs> it's in the mail. Oh, okay. My, I do have a check in the mail. Did you like Michael Caine in this movie? Michael oh, God, Caine. yes. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Amazing. He, oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. Go, Scott. Oh, no, that's okay. I'll be quick. As much as I might whine about the lack of cause and effect in the first half of the movie compared to the second, it's worth it just for Michael Caine's two big scenes with with uh, Christian Bale. Okay, so um, so now no, I like Michael Caine. I talked about this with Adam and the other guys yesterday, but I had problems with the fact that he was exposition butler. Like he knew everything he needed to know about Bane and was able to communicate yes. every piece of information before having two big dramatic scenes. And I think that kind of counterbalances how effective he is. Well, the problem. I'm sorry. One of the problems I have with the movie is that everybody knows who Bane is. Gordon knows who Bane is. And everybody knows who Batman is, too, it seems like. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, the mayor from Baltimore knew who Bane was. <laughs> yes. Um, and that's, <laughs> you know, it, it felt like, you know, you're right, Michael Caine's big, you know, Bane expository speech. It almost feels like that scene I always make fun of at the end of Sherlock Holmes, where Rachel McAdams has to talk about Moriarty for 10 minutes to convince him, you know, to convince us what a badass he is. Um, you know, I make fun of it that, you know, Batman begins and ends the same way, you know, oh, you better watch out for this guy. He's called the Joker and he's really, really scary, Batman. Uh, and that's basically what Michael Caine did in this movie. You know, he basically has to tell us that Bane is scary. He has to tell us that Bane has conviction, which is ironic because, you know, he doesn't. But you're absolutely right. And I will let you go because you brought the point first. Yeah, I did. Because I, I really like Michael Caine as Alfred, but I was just, I kept thinking of, because I was like, just like Jordan and I, we were just watching Spider-Man 3. And so now like all I'm thinking about is Exposition Butler character. And that's like exactly what like, what Alfred does in this role. It's, it's yeah. not as bad. It's not, no, it's not as bad. And it comes, it doesn't come at like the, the exact needed points, but like, like he, got, he just he has every piece of information needed like opposed to dark knight and batman begins where he's giving sage advice or reflecting on past experiences and passing them on to young master wayne here he's just like i went to villains.com and this is what i found and like he's okay. just... well think about this for a second look who he's the butler for bruce wayne and think about what bruce wayne does on his free time he messes with big baddies Maybe he has a pulse. Maybe he has like a like an RSS feed on massive uh, villains and just like tries to keep up on tries to keep up. I, I, yeah, he has no Oracle, so he relies on Alfred. I, think, I get it. I think he has. Yeah. I think he paid the yearly subscription and got villainspro.com. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Bane does have an entry on Snopes. That's where all the rumors come from. <laughs> I want to see his LinkedIn. <laughs> Can we talk about? I friended. <laughs> I sent Bane a Facebook friend request, but he hasn't gotten back to me yet. It's complicated. Oh. Um, yeah. Can we talk about John Blake? Let's yeah. Do it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. George, George, <laughs> George, just to leave that. Um, well, I, I'm sorry. Oh, Mr. DVD. Oh, Mr. DVD. John quotation fingers Robin uh, Blake. So, so I, I like Joseph Gordon-Levitt in this movie. I liked his character. I think he got a lot to do. <laughs> um, not necessarily needed all that he had to do, but I, I liked his character overall. Did you guys? What did you guys think of his character? I was fine with it. Yeah, I liked it. Uh, I agree. I Again, I, I like what he does in the first half of the film more than the second half. Um, again, he's sent on a bunch of random tasks to try to, you know, dismantle the bomb or get the kids out of the city and et cetera, et cetera. And from a plot point of view, that all comes to naught. So he's sort of sent on a wild goose chase just to, in my opinion, give him something to do to keep him in the narrative. He's a good performer. And I like, and I kind of like Scott said, I mean, I like what he does early on, but he has a lot to do in this movie. Yeah. And what I really particularly hated was the fact that, you know, years ago, no one flat out told us, he's like, look, you're never going to see Robin in my movies. I'm don't. Not, it's way before then, yada, yada, yada. And so, like, we know, okay, okay, Robin, and you're watching the movie, like, okay, he's filling the Robin role, but, okay, he's not going to be Robin. He's not going to be Robin. And then he's like, oh, yeah, I'm Robin. And it's like, no, you're not. Your name should be Dick Grayson or Jason Todd or Tim Drake, but... It's just, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll agree with you on this point, because regardless of the fact that I really love the ending and the fact that I'm not bothered at all by the fact that Nolan said something to throw you off, how terrible of him. Um, <laughs> I think Venom had the same thing happen with Raimi, but I, the, I, I was annoyed that the fact that his name was Robin and how like unsubtle it was in naming the character that way when she says, well, why don't you use your full name? And I was expecting to hear, like, Richard or yeah. Timothy. And I'm no, he, says, he says, 
or Dickaford. She, she's, <laughs> she's Dick Swellington. Dick yeah. Swellington. Well, I, it I, felt it says Robin. I'm Blake Dick. And it feel it felt less like Subtle Nolan and more like Hammer Me on the Head, David S. Goyer or Warner Brothers Studios. Oh no, well, no, no, it, that's it, Hammer it, on the Head, Christopher Nolan, 101. Yeah, it felt like a reference for people that only know Batman from the TV series, because anyone that cared enough whether or not that character was or wasn't Robin would have gotten, hey, it's Tim or it's, you know, but he's basically he's supposed to be playing a version of Tim Drake. Yeah. You yeah, know, he grew up in the shadow of Batman. He, he lost his parents. You know, he guessed Batman's identity, et cetera, et cetera. The way he guessed Chris, it was going to dumb, though. If you look at Chris Nolan, too, and just the level of trust, the confidence he shows in the audience of getting what he's talking about. I mean, he has so many of these little Batman things that he throws in there and doesn't even, you know, you see the Bat computer. But he doesn't call it the Bat Computer. You see Catwoman. He doesn't call her Catwoman, but you know it's Catwoman. You know, he, yeah. he doesn't need to hit you over the head and be like, hey, guys, look, it's Robin. And he doesn't, come on. It, it doesn't fit with what he's, he's been doing for three films. Uh, no, I agree with you. I, I, it was the one really, really false note in the, in the epilogue, which otherwise I relatively liked. That, that said, I, yeah, I... I, I never did not think he wasn't going to be Robin by the end of this movie. That never surprised me. That was a, yeah. it was the movie was it felt very predictable in terms of how it wrapped itself up. Like I did like regardless of whether Batman died or not, like the various reveals of Talia and Robin and those things. Like I I wasn't it didn't come it didn't feel like anything came out of left field or bad made me like reconsider how I was interpreting the film beforehand. I, I was. Well, can we can we talk about the epilogue a little bit? Sure. Sure. Because you, um, you hated it, apparently. I absolutely I, I absolutely hate the epilogue. I'll say why, and then I will get out of the way. Okay. Um, here, here's here's my beef with, with, with the epilogue. Um, obviously, leading up to it, there's been a lot, there's a lot of talk. Here. Will Batman die? Will he, will he live? What's going to happen? We were, we were expecting some big Empire Strikes Back sort of twist. Um, and, were you we? know, I, I, I certainly was. I'll speak for myself. I certainly was. Um, now, I personally, you know, looking at, looking at the way the film kind of progresses, where you end up with this ticking time bomb, very traditional plot. You know, it's a very, it's kind of a little bit inherently silly to have the Batman's final moment to be taking this nuclear bomb and towing it out to sea and whatnot. But when they when the, the bomb blows up and whatnot, and it looks like Batman's dead, I was really, I was just really impressed. I thought, oh my God, Nolan has gone and done it. He's had the guts to do it. Way to go. I'm, I'm proud of you. You got this done. And then we have that wonderfully emotional scene with Alfred at the grave. I absolutely love that. Thought that was true. We have the statue that goes up. Thought that was really cool. Um, and then we get to this very almost Inception-like closing sequence where, you know, oh, we have that the, uh, the cafe in Florence that was referenced earlier. We look, and there's Alfred, you know, and he looks up, and there's Bruce Wayne, and everything's happy. And I hate it when a filmmaker does that and says, okay, look, all of these emotions that you've just experienced – just kidding. Doesn't matter. Everything's fine. You know, all that you just, you know, experienced emotionally, it doesn't matter anymore because I say it doesn't. And I really thought that was a cheat. I thought it was lousy. And I just, I really thought it lacked the guts. I cannot disagree with that, actually. Uh, I, I like the ending more than you did for a couple of reasons. But I, I, you're right on principle that it's basically saying, haha, feel this. No, 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 wait, feel this. I was very much hoping that Nolan would not kill off Batman only because, you know, for four years, we basically had all the, you know, the, the for lack of a less dismissive turn, fanboys. Going, oh, he's going to kill Batman. That'll be so shocking. It'll be so shocking where it got to the point where it would have been more shocking for him not to kill off Batman. And because we're in an age, you know, with, with episodic television and, and genre movies where it seems like the, you know, from a, 
more of a speculation standpoint, the only plot twist that matters is who's going to die. You know, oh, did you watch, you know, Breaking Bad? I can't believe that person died last night. Or, you know, even Mad Men got into it. Wait, I I, done on Breaking Bad last night? (laughs) I'm two episodes behind. Okay. Sorry. No no spoilers for Mad Men, please. Uh, Having kids means you're caught up with Avengers Earth Mightiest Heroes before Breaking Bad. That's a good show. It's fun. It's fun. It's a good, you know, Marvel for, you know, Marvel for dummies. Anyway. Yeah, anyway. So I, I was kind of, but when the time came, it's okay. He's going <laughs> to sacrifice himself. You know, it's it's earned. I love the moment where he tells Gordon who he is. That's just a. That's it's my a, favorite moment in the movie of this. Movie. It's the one part where I almost cried. It's such a sweet gift to give that man that has lost so much because of you know the you know what's gone on in Gotham in the last eight nine years. And he's really lost more than anybody else of those that are you know still alive. Um, you know, his family's gone, and he does it without the glory that Batman would get, without the glory that Debt received. You know, uh, you know, G- G- Gordon arguably really is the martyr of the story, uh, and for him to get that wonderful gift at the end, you know, it was very touching. So okay, you got that. He flies off the end. He blows up. Thinking, okay, fine, I'm good with it. But then for him to say, "Ha ha, he's really alive," because he, you know, again, it's it's a character choice. The entire film is Batman leading up to Batman choosing to live. You know, it's it's actually very similar to Toy Story three, in which you have Woody basically, you know, running toward death. Which is basically yeah. storage with Andy, but at the last minute, he, you know, he throws himself on the metaphorical sword, giving up Andy for the sake of his friends. But he's also choosing life. He's choosing to live without Andy rather than to die with him. You know, it's it's it, it's very powerful. Now, yeah, you could you could ask some logic questions like, does this mean he left, you know, Morgan Freeman unemployed? You know, how much money <laughs> is Alfred really going to have since apparently Bruce Wayne's broke? You know, how exactly does Bruce Wayne live in Europe? Do they just use Selena the money Kyle. that Selena Kyle I mean, I, I think, I mean, we can, we can argue that, like, the fraudulent bank yeah. claims that happened would eventually be overturned. I mean, yeah, it, it, it seems true. so obvious that Bane was fraudulently yeah. affecting Wayne Enterprises that it'd be no choice but yeah. to have them all give them all. And my it, question is, within those five months, wouldn't they have over, wouldn't, wouldn't they have clearly seen that it was fraud and overturned it before Batman even got out of the pit? Well, with the, with the disappearance of Bruce Wayne and the fact that the city was under, you know, city arrest. I think there are bigger issues going on that would kind of yes. prevent things from going as smoothly as possible in terms of bank transactions. I don't believe um, that. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's again, I say the, the decision to bankrupt Bruce Wayne doesn't add anything to his character and frankly, you know, violates the whole concept of Batman Begins, which is that, you know, Bruce Wayne learned from his father that the people that have the most money have a duty to use that money and influence for the good of others. Now you get to the Dark Knight Rises are basically saying, oh, Bruce Wayne can't be reborn again until he's one of the poor people. That The fact that he's rich invalidates his, his heroism, which frankly kind of pissed me off. Let's uh, let's get uh, back to the epilogue a little bit. Um, okay. Now, I, I get what Adam is saying, and Scott, you're agreeing with him, but I get what Adam is saying is that, yeah, it's having it one way and then it's having it another way, but I, I like that. I like having being able to, like, experience the feelings of Batman died just now and I'm fe- I'm feeling that and then have the satisfaction of oh actually bat well bat technically Batman died but Bruce Wayne lives on I I I don't I don't mind being manipulated emotionally in that aspect just because if, if there's multiple different kinds of satisfaction I'm getting from experiencing all those different things that are going on it just frankly it didn't bug me frankly I just I was just really satisfied with where it went each in those uh, those instances I had the biggest like uh, Dark Knight fanboy sitting in front of me during IMAX. He was smug throughout the entire thing. And when Batman died, or when the bomb blew up, he looked over to his girlfriend and went, see, 
told you. So, <laughs> and Did like, you, can't, you see, like haul off and like slug his chair, and, like boom. I'm just looking uh. at him, and then and then I can almost feel the eye roll. I didn't see it, but I swear to God, you felt the eye roll. But then when he stood up, he was alive. I couldn't. I, I laughed out loud. I was like, ha ha. Although I don't. The one thing I don't believe is that Bruce Wayne would wear a salmon colored shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't. I just don't see it. Let me let me say this. Let me say let me say this too. The um, the IMAX footage and this this does relate to the epilogue. Give me a second. The the IMAX footage of this movie is fantastic. It's great. Oh, I love okay. the fact that so this movie good. shot in IMAX and you're able to see it in all its glory. With that said, the one thing that I hated about this IMAX presentation is the fact that the first time Alfred makes reference to the fact that every year I go on vacation, like he it shows him on vacation in giant IMAX footage. And I feel like that betrays the that was another reason why I'm like, well, this is exactly how the movie's going to end now. I had no there was no surprise to me that this is where the movie was going to end. Where, like I said, that's why I wasn't even concerned if Batman died because I'm like, well, Alfred's going to see Bruce Wayne at the end of this giant yeah. expedition in Italy or whatever. So I, I wish that that scene, the first time he called reference to his holiday that he takes every year, wasn't shot in IMAX. So like it wouldn't highlight it so much. So I wouldn't like realize that. The well, thing is, is that movie. they didn't need to show that at all. They did. Yeah, they could have just had him talk. Because in Dark Knight, when he made mention to the to the guy who when they burned the forest down, they never like if, if back then <laughs> they made and showed references to the thief and they showed like little snippets of film then i'd be like okay that's cool but they didn't so if he just verbalized michael kane is a, is a good enough actor where you can trust him just to give us the idea and the setting of the shop maybe they just didn't want to keep and then when he was walking crying. in the shop at, huh? maybe they just didn't want to keep showing us crying michael kane honestly and then after the epilogue when he was talking to uh, thomas and, and and martha like I was, I was if he had one more sentence i would have started crying because he's that good <laughs> he was that good I was like, oh, he looks so sad. I want to hold him. Why did Lucius walk away? Go back. Uh, yeah, so I just, I, I, just, I just feel like I feel like the IMAX spoiled the ending of the movie for me. That's what I'm saying. Like, wait a minute. Alfred needs a hug. Yeah, seriously. I felt really bad. Like, come uh, back, I, champ. I do like two things about the ending. A, it basically is a classic case of having your cake and eating it, too. You kill Batman, but you don't. So you get to have both. I, I would actually suggest it's, it's the equivalent of starting to eat your chocolate cake and finding out there's tofu inside. Fair enough. It actually, in a way, was kind of Nolan pulling a fast one on everybody in that the two most popular theories was that Bruce Wayne and Batman are going to die or Bruce Wayne is going to die, but Batman's going to live on. Where this ending obviously was just the opposite. Batman died, but Bruce Wayne lived on. So it was Batman a nice way. Batman died so Bruce Wayne could live. That's yes, it was very much a subversion of our expectations. Well, technically, I mean, Batman will live on because we have the Robin reveal and all that. Hey, well, here's man. the thing. Here's the thing. The next movie, I swear to God, if it's John Blake as Batman, the next movie is going to last 15 minutes because he has no training. He has no resources. <laughs> he's going to get his ass kicked. And it's going to bomb because, you know, they'll just let Disney produce it and call it John Blake. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Andrew Stanton, where are you at, buddy? John Blake from Gotham. John Blake. Yeah. John Blake of Gotham. Um... Um, I, I didn't. I wasn't into the action scenes. Most of them. Most of them. Really? Um, I thought the finale had too much relatively faceless vehicle versus vehicle stuff, and it went. In my opinion, it went on forever. Uh, it was very. I don't want to say monotonous because that's not fair. Obviously, it, it was very you know, big scale, somewhat creative, whatever. I just I, uh, it didn't feel as personal and character driven as the stuff from The Dark Knight I can, or Batman. Begins. I can see what you're uh, saying, and I would certainly recognize like I mean like something like the, the giant truck chase thing in Dark Knight like yeah. as a, something more memorable than 
the action seat the the finale in this film but that said and i also i i could seriously think with faceless vehicles because you obviously have like this giant cg the bat roaming around yeah. and chasing after things but i that was cg <laughs> but i still i it was miniatures designed by guillermo del toro i uh, i still like the um <laughs> i i did like it i like i like the scope involved and i lo- and i mean things like seeing the bat pod in act or the yeah the bat pod in action and just the way it the way that thing functions or seeing like a three way chase happening I liked all of that I was really into it I was the the I, I was in, I was into the, the what was going on in those action sequences um I really liked all the hand to hand action combat between Batman and Bane those two f- fight scenes they had I was really uh, into it I liked the first one more the second one I was the second one thematically I can understand because Batman's like he's gained all this whatever he's 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 like um uh, as Abe was saying he thought of was it a, no Mark? Mark was saying that he thought of Rocky when he was watching this. Movie. Oh yeah, it's Rocky three. Yeah. The movie's Rocky three. Yeah. So, I I get where he's coming from, but like when he fights Bane the second time, he just basically does the same thing again. <laughs> like he's yeah. just like I'm just gonna keep punching you with all my might. Like, well, I, said, I mean, I, I really love it that he's, he's in there and he's like, look, you know, I don't care if I lose, I'm gonna keep punching. I'm gonna get in yeah. there. And just as as an athlete myself, I mean, I love I, I love that kind of because I mean, at some level, obviously, I've never fought a supervillain. But you know, as really? a, as a mark, uh, well, not I try not to talk about it. I did. But, I, mean, I got my just, ass kicked. But as like as a martial oh. artist, I mean, we've all had that moment where you know you're dead tired and you just you know you just keep going anyway. And so I mean, that was cool. That's why I like the first fight because he was just he was just kept coming. Yeah. Well, that's why because oh. I, I I wish the second fight relied more on Batman using you know more Brains. of his more of his yes more of his I mean the brawn thing clearly didn't work out as well the first time. And, well, it did this time, any, or the second time anyway, but I would have liked to see him use more of what makes Batman Batman, which is not the just his strength, but the various like, the various things on his belt. <laughs> the shooting the shooting arm gauntlets like he did in Dark Knight, those have been awesome. Well, he technically did use that to rip out the thing on Bane's mask, like he just kind of, yeah. it caught him and pulled his mask. Um, I remember before, like, when he, when he launched him at, you know, that was awesome, man, just, like, launch him right at, you know, Bane's face. Oops, sorry. <laughs> no, I, I, I wasn't crazy about, certainly not the ending and and just because you're right, he basically it's it's a Rocky movie where he does the same thing he did in the end of the first act, but for some reason this time he wins oh, you know, I, arbitrarily. I will say that I enjoyed the fact that Bane didn't die from the obvious way. He didn't die because Batman pulled his mask off or something yes. like that. It was because Catwoman just blasted the fuck out of her child with yeah. that pod. Which no one heard that rolling up. She put it on. Oh. It was in stealth mode. Yes, the Tumblr yeah. has stealth mode. We all know. She got behind it and was like pushing. Yeah. <laughs> the couple cops were around and they kind of helped her out and they just kind of walked. It was a shock. I'd watch that sorry, B-roll footage. I'm sorry. Just say okay. Uh, it was a or shockingly. Maybe, maybe, maybe it was like R2D2. Maybe it was like R2D2 when he does his walking thing. Maybe they were like just <laughs> walking, like it scrunches its back and like climbs things. Maybe. It, it was a shockingly off the cuff death for the. Well, technically, is the primary villain in the film. Well, I think it's like once the um, movie revealed that there was Talia, suddenly yeah. Bane like just got shifted to like, oh yeah, you're, you're, yeah. you're sidekick now. And I think to the detriment of the film. You're, you're, you know, basically, in the end, ironically, he plays the same role he does in Batman and Robin. Yep. Where he's, you know, the female villain's side, you know, lapdog or whatever. Nice. And, you know, I started getting, you know, World is Not Enough vibes. Where the person that you thought was the primary villain is just the henchman. So that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, it also remembers to give both characters their big death scene. I love the bat, you know, the Catwoman killed him. I think that's neat. That was unexpected. I just wanted a slightly more, you know, I wanted to know that he was dead. I mean that scene comes and goes so quickly. I wasn't sure he was going to get was, back up again. I was I was fine with the, I was fine with him being dead. I was like, yep, he's yeah. gone. Like I was. 
Mainly because I, I really like the line that Bane gives, though, right before he's, because he's like, you you know I can't wait, and I have to, you know I must kill you now. Like, it's just like, yeah. that's hardcore. <laughs> like, yeah. you have to, like, just blast Batman in the face of a shotgun. And I'm like, oh, that sucks. <laughs> and, like, I know <laughs> I know he's probably not going to die right now, but it's like, that's pretty dark. <laughs> if a cat would blast him with the bat pod, he just flings backwards. Like, if this was an R-rated movie, that'd be pretty horrible to see. <laughs> and maybe that was the problem. That, you know, again... And I've had this problem with other with the other the last Batman movie, which you're basically trying to do R-rated content in a PG-13 format. And Nolan, even more so than you know, cut to shreds movies like the Luke Besson stuff, is really afraid, often afraid to show the violence in any particularly direct way. So you have a lot of you know violence that's somewhat obtuse. And this is the same way in The Dark Knight as well. But you know, in that you know in that re- that rears its ugly head in some of the action scenes in this film, like the IMAX prologue, for example where it's hard to tell who's being shot because, you know, no one's afraid to actually show people being shot. Or but I've, I've complained about that before. Like, where, there's no, where there's no blood, despite him being riddled to crap it, with bullets. Just, it, just, it just looks like he, you know, it's like he, he fainted or something at the last minute. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah so he fainted. You know, it's funny. It is what's funny I, watched the, uh, I watched The Prestige um, on Sunday, and um, that movie's... I mean, that's both PG... That's PG-13 as well, and that movie's pretty violent. Like, they don't... Yeah. No, he doesn't cut away from the violence in that movie. Now, in the 80s, PG-13 meant a little bit different than it does today, obviously. You know, before Batman Returns. Um, where, you know, at its start, PG-13 was sort of, you know, R- minus or R+, plus or whatever you want to call it. Light R. As opposed to now, where they're, you know... It's like a PG+. plus. A lot of them are PG+, plus, something like Thor, The Avengers, or something like that. Um, and I think Nolan, as an action filmmaker, struggles with doing R-rated violence in a PG plus PG 13 format, as opposed to going for the light R and knowing he's probably going to PG 13 anyway. I see. Like, I never really, I mean, despite the fact that I'm bringing it up, I don't really have a problem with the way he cuts away from violence just because I get it. Like I get, he can't, he can't make that movie. It's a Batman movie for everyone to see, even regardless of how dark it is or how much men. And there is a lot the dark Knight certainly has more menace than this movie. I would say, I mean, yeah, I mean, Oh yeah. Just because of the, just because the, na- the, yeah, the, the nature presence of the, joke, of the Joker. Terrible. I mean, he's yeah. so much. He's I mean, a force of nature. He's utterly terrifying. You just don't know what he's going to do. And and knives are more deadly. But <laughs> knives knives make you feel more yeah. ill at will, uh, or um, broken glass or what have you. But I mean, I, I, it never bothered me that he that there is a lack of blood. I mean, yeah, sure, in some like weird perfect world. I don't even know perfect world, but some different universe we'd see r-rated batman movies like this and it'd be much more i don't know graphic or what have you but i don't really need that necessarily and i don't feel like i don't have a problem with the fact that of how nolan handles cutting away from action there's problems with maybe his framing of action at times especially in yeah. batman begins and even in some of the this movie more i'd still i think dark knight's pretty confident in the ways the action shot i don't really have any problems with the editing there but this movie it's just there's so much going on i think there's issues that occur but i never i don't have a problem with the way he cuts away from graphic scenes of violence um no and, and i i don't mind that in principle i just don't think he does it in a entirely successful way i mean even you know using shadows on occasion might have worked better than some of the choices that he makes but whatever i mean it's, it's a minor nitpick in terms of the violence um you know technically theoretically far more people are being killed in this film than in the dark knight but really you don't really I mean, in my opinion, you don't really feel it. It's not personal. It's not, it's, 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 to use a cliche, it's very comic booky. And again, Nolan is very careful not to show, with a few very token exceptions, people that aren't cops, security guards, or criminals being killed. There's the one, you know, comparatively jolting moment where they walk in a stock exchange where one of the henchmen does shoot a stockbroker in the chest. 
And because you don't see any of that anywhere else in the film, it was kind of shocking. Well, do we see innocent people get killed? It, it, killed in the first in the first two movies, though. Oh, um, sure. you absolutely. assume that they get killed in the begins when Arkham is released. Yes, so that, really that's a hell of a lot of us. That's I mean, that's the same as something that's breaking in this with movie. The, with the Dark Knight. The Joker intentionally doesn't target completely random bystanders. But again, he's trying to prove a point. He's trying you bet to. That bit too, you bet that bit where the, the first person that's dressed up as Batman that he hangs, bangs yeah. into the window of the office. You've yeah. got you got that. You've got Mr. Lau is obviously burned to death on well, top he's of a the, the, the yeah. blood money. If you've got that, um, and there's another bit. Well, and when he shoots um, the guy in the um, just the random guy in the car. When yeah. Batman driving that's, well, when that's he, a comedy, the the, uh, the the police commissioner no, that, is, is poisoned and the, in a car. No, the, that's ju- a, no, the, the judge. No, I know what he's talking about too. The judge uh, gets blown up. The, the police commissioner gets poisoned. So, yeah. I mean, there's a fair was, number of like very personal deaths. Yes, I was at, but no, it, I was asking for completely just random citizens though. That these are all people that follow. There like, is cops one and, scene in the Dark Knight where, and I, someone else I didn't hear who brought this up. When Batman is racing toward him in the street on the bat pod, the Joker is trying to get him to murder him. So he's basically taking pot shots at whatever cars happen to be in the way, and he does shoot at. But we don't see if there's any who gets we hit. See, we see the car turn off. The, get, we see the car turn off the road because it gets exactly. shot at. Yeah, he hits two regular cars and one cop car. Uh, and again, that scene is shocking because it really is, you know, it's the only time the Joker intentionally targets completely innocent civilians. Again, you know, the two people, you know, Harvey Dent, one of them's a DMV employee. I don't know who the other one is, but I think he's also, you know, a government employee, not saying that they should be expendable. But again, he's going after a very specific type of target um, because he read it at Brubaker's soft targets and knows how that works. <laughs> um, but no, even though, you know, technically you think that countless people are being killed during the occupation of Gotham, you don't see it. And really, the scenes that we do see don't imply it. So there is a, and, and that's where you get to the politics of this movie. You know, and I, I apologize if I'm talking about stuff you guys talked about last night. You know, I don't think this film is political at all. I think it uses a token amount of topic, topicality, you know, the, you know the, the income and inequality that, you know, only an idiot wouldn't notice in today's society, and uses that as sort of seasoning for a very traditional madman takes the city hostage and threatens to blow it up plot. And I think the reason that you've got, you know, on one side, you think people that's, you know, it's an anti-99ers because, oh, the cops go up against, you know, the, the regular people and blah, blah, blah. But what you notice is the only people that join up with Bane's army are prisoners. No? You see random people, like the very, uh, actually good scene right after he took over, when you had the bellhop and stuff from the big... Um, were those people that Scarlet. were secretly playing Bane's employees or were those actually just no, regular because that's the point where he's like, come up and take arms with me. And you just see random okay. like vagrants and stuff like taking the streets. Uh, like, I will, I will give you that. Like you see random people who are just frustrated go in and do um, it. But then well, we were, they, were they joining Bane though, or are they just rioting? Yeah, either or. Um, but then you don't see the after effect where you don't see any poor people living in the homes of rich people. Again, Slita Kyle's supposed to represent everybody in that situation, which is absurd. And the only rich people we see being impoverished are Wayne Enterprise board members. It's, well, yeah, but why would we waste time with other impoverished? people that we because it would hammer home the the the, the fact that, that means they have to waste more time to show us a, what yeah, they and, before. Uh, so yeah i see i don't see i see i see what you're saying and yeah but it i yeah i do i feel like the movie i feel like if anything there was stuff shot maybe but it just kind of got cut out because the movie is too long and there's so because there's so much kind of filler going on early on that doesn't necessarily matter or could have been tightened up or could have been taken out or could have been restructured and so as a negative effect we don't get to see more of what's, you know, the negatives involving Bane having taken over the city. But no, and I think as a consequence of that, 
the film comes off feeling less like a, you know, Bane uses the frustrations of the underclass to build resentment and form up his own army of regular citizens. And basically, you get more of, basically, Bane breaks everybody out of Blackgate and uses them to take over the city, which, you know, that's a that's a supervillain plot. That's a very generic supervillain plot that doesn't really relate to the alleged politics the film may or may not have on its mind. Getting back to the action sequences, um, <laughs> yeah, just moving things around. So, okay, so I, I, you weren't like a cra- you weren't crazy about the um, the climax, the climactic action sequence. Did, did you enjoy the earlier on chase, though, where Batman first arrives on the scene? I think it's fun, but again, the whole time I'm thinking is, you know, this whole scene, you know, and maybe this is intentional. The idea that Batman technically screws everything up and allows Bane to escape because he's around and they're chasing him instead of instead of Bane, and the fact that, again, he fails to prevent anything. He gets the information that, oh, look, they use this to break into the stock exchange, but then he goes bankrupt anyway. I can't blame this on Batman, though. I mean, he, the, no. he, he didn't make the cops not chase after Bane, and he was tra- he was technically chasing after the right person. He just got yeah. there late. Like, <laughs> I mean, like I said in last night's story, I mean, that was actually my... my- Probably my favorite sequence because of the, the because it's, of the size really of effective it, because of the camera the, the way the camera shoots that scene of yeah. having an it's really scene. it's really effective. No, it's a it's a really well crafted action scene that I liked more for the visceral impact than any you know how it relates to the story. And frankly, as as awful as their acting and writing is in the IMAX prologue, it's a pretty terrific action sequence. I just wish it wasn't done so stupidly. You know, tell me about Bane. Why does he wear the mask? Why? Um, but I whined about that six months ago. You did, and I kind of my counter was that I feel like it's very, in terms of the acting, I feel like it's very similar to Dark Knight, where it's yeah. it's kind of purposely over the top. I think it's I think it's kind yeah. of sets it up uh, to be exist in a comic book universe. Of so. um, and again, if that was the biggest problem with the movie, I still would have liked it. So, but but in terms of technically, I did appreciate that sequence more the second time around. Um, for whatever reason, I mean, maybe because I, it's, maybe a really, I could under- it's a really cool scene. I mean, that's, that's the easiest I, way to say it. I mean, because, because I could under, I could understand what was going on more because I had seen it before. So I was able to sort of pay attention to see if they actually, if I was able, you know, if my feelings of the scene were more just, I just didn't catch everything. And no, I, I think there's a lot that sort of, there are certain shots that I feel need to be there. I think Aiden Gillian needs a final scene, but again, it's a minor nitpick. It is a very technically impressive sequence. And it feels like they did it for real, and I, as far as I know, they did. I like that scene. I like, I love, love, love Catwoman's big fight scene in the in the bar. Oh, I really uh, like that scene too. Uh, that's that my favorite cool. scene in the scene. That's arguably probably my favorite action scene in the picture, because it it's character driven. You see how she is intelligent. Now she uses the people you know that she takes advantage of to her advantage. You know, pardon the redundancy, and. Periodly, she looks fantastic while doing it. And she also uses her various, like, she's a woman, so she just starts yeah. screaming at one point. That's like, hilarious. Yeah, that was good. But I, I like that. As I said, you know, my whining about the, sec- the, the you know, the, the lack of consequence to much of what happens in the first half of the film, I, I found the first half of the film far more entertaining than the second half of the film. So it's, it's you know, it's, it's sort of a either or. I was more entertained by the first half, but I was annoyed that the second half didn't really pay off much that happened in the first half. I have a question. Uh, dead serious, and this might be really controversial, but how does Bane eat? He drinks your milkshake. <laughs> does he? <laughs> You're not the only person that's asked that. Oh, really? Uh, how okay. does Bane oh, shave? So he brushes teeth. He, how does he brush his teeth? How does he shave? He has no teeth. Um, <laughs> well, you know, with with the original, with the comic book, he was always uh, using venom for, like, steroid sort of 
for sustenance. Nope. Them for, so perhaps maybe he had some kind of IV stuff going on. We don't on. technically know what was going on with that mask, so it could have had some kind of IV situation plug, going on. Plug me in if I hunger and thirst. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hungry, but I cannot eat. Jordan. <laughs> Jordan? Yeah. You're a man who likes his scores. What did you think of the score for The Dark Knight Rises? Um, I... I liked it. I didn't love it as much as uh, Dark Knight or Batman Begins, and I think it's because of uh, the disappearance of James Newton Howard. That's kind of what we were saying last night, but go on. Um, and there were some parts where it sounded a lot like uh, um, Steve Jablonski's uh, Transformers score, where I thought, <laughs> huh, that seems like a cue from the first Transformers movie. Um, and that happened a couple times throughout the film, and I watched the, I, I listened to the score at home, and yeah, sure enough, like there were a few cues where I'm like, huh, yeah. That definitely sounds like it's ripped off from, from Transformers. Um, it, it's not as epic as I feel it, it should be. It just feels just really simple. And, like, not a whole lot of effort was put into it. I dug it. Yeah, um, I, I disagree. I, yeah, I, I was kind of, I was really into it. And I, I, I love the soundtrack. It's I, cool. I, I enjoyed how it's, um, it has, I, I like, while I do like the Dark Knight score overall, better and probably the best of the three I, I do like the fact that each film does have a just as a distinctive tone to it i feel like i could be able to separate the scores beyond having beyond the main themes i feel like i'd be able to kind of i'd be able to identify which films which based on kind of the running kind of not melody but the, some running kind of tones and things going on between each of them um, it was not a bad score <laughs> no I, I thought it was a, a fine score but i i it wasn't as memorable, but I, again, I, I don't demand that. I, I did. You know, I, I'm doing the, the chant, uh, the the, the main <laughs> chant at work, like every day right now. <laughs> like, I, I just funny. I found the chant really, really kind of annoying, particularly when the fact that you know you've got the 20 guys in the prison that supposedly none of their doors are locked, and every time somebody's going to you know walk, you know, climb to freedom, they all lock out there and start chanting. It's like it's like you know halftime of the Super Bowl. You got nothing better to do, but it's like come on, really. But, I think it's funny that Bruce Wayne didn't ask until the third time that he tried to climb the pit. So what are they saying? <laughs> like, uh, it's, funny, one, dude. it's funny you mentioned Transformers, because I felt, to a certain extent, the plot of the film, in a very you know, broad sense, resembled Transformers 3 quite a bit, mm-hmm. in that you have the first hour or so of the film with supporting characters solving a mystery, and but still failing to prevent the villain's plot from going forward. And I felt this way about Transformers 3 the first time I, you know, I wrote about that last year that you really don't have to you know from a for that film you really don't have to see the first hour of the film at all to enjoy what comes next right and then you've got you know about 30 minutes of or 20 30 minutes of oh my god the villains running wild violence carnage etc etc and then you have you know certain supporting characters trying to sneak their way back to the city to try to undo the chaos and then you have the big action climax that's what i was saying yesterday actually that i did think of transformers 3 a lot well i was i feel like the plot of this movie was very similar to transformers 3 that was actually when i read your review after i wrote mine i was like wow he kind of he he also picked up on the fact that transformers 3 plays a big part of this movie yeah and it's it's you know people like to bag on michael bay sometimes deservedly sometimes not but it'll be interesting to see how the, the format of Transformers 3 is aped by any number of would-be blockbusters over the next few years. I well, mean, no you know, one is a fan of Michael Bay. Yeah. From, and yes, so it's like maybe he didn't do it on purpose, but subconsciously, oh. like, oh, let's make it that way. Or you could simply argue that the the, the format of Transformers 3 was so... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Help me out here. I don't... Uh, archetypical? Not, that's not... Right. Convoluted? <laughs> um... <laughs> Ro- was it perhaps robotic? Ha ha ha! 
you guys aren't helping me here. Anyway, point being, it followed a certain temp- a template. It was a, it, it provided a template for really big, escalating action sequels. They wanted to print money. Yes. Anyway, no, I I, I think I defined described the film in my review as you know Transformers Three meets Rocky Three. That's really how I felt about it, for better or worse. And I, again, I don't think it's a terrible film. I think all of its problems are traced back to certain storytelling script choices. And I think, ironically, probably 40% of my whining about it would be negated if Miranda Tate did not turn out to be Talia al Ghul at the end of the film. Because then the things that Bane does would have consequence at the end of the film, rather than everything he, he's doing basically being a distraction to us, distracting us from the real plot, which is Talia al Ghul sitting there waiting with the detonator to blow it up. I have a question about... Um... The congressman. Okay, I I felt like that was kind of out of character. I felt his whole like being so in love with her was more appropriate if the character was Poison Ivy. Do you guys feel the same way? Oh, yeah. Just being a Kyle. Sure. Yeah, I'd... especially like when he's on the floor, he's like, "Call me after we're getting shot." Well, he's also drugged. I think. Yeah, he seemed like he was pretty out of it. Like. And yeah. dear God, did you see what she looked like in this movie? <laughs> uh, I mean, it's she... it's no secret that I hold up all female hotness to Ellen and Hathaway and Ellen Enchanted. And bow, she came close. She came very close. So yes, she does, I... She does all right. <laughs> um, but anyway, I don't want to get too period here. But no, it, it, it was a silly moment. I agree. But again, I, I, I figured he was drugged, so it was kind of somewhat acceptable. Okay, and I keep forgetting. Why did she need the fingerprints? She needed to give them to Dagger, or not Dagger, or the other guy, whatever. Yeah, the Dagger. other guy. For what? So she, for, in exchange for the clean slate that she needed. The no, what? but why did they need the fingerprints? Why did oh, what? Because the fingerprints were part of the handprint to, to uh, okay the transfer of funds and stock. That's how they fraudulated uh, oh, Wayne, oh, Wayne's, okay. gotcha, Wayne's doubling gotcha. down and losing all I, his I money. I keep forgetting that, yeah. And speaking, speaking of, of... Yeah, go for it. Dagger, um, I really liked... Ben Mendelsohn in this film. He had my okay. So yeah. can I, I just like Ben. I, I'm just I'm a fan of him. Let me so let me jump back to Dark Knight because one of my favorite scenes of that movie is what <laughs> one of the or at least one of my most laugh worthy scenes in that movie is when they're in like the um, when Harvey Dent's giving like the press conference thing and he's tell, he's about to like reveal Batman or whatever and the, there's one guy in the audience that says things are worse than ever and it's very <laughs> pronounced and so this so Ben Mendelsohn. He manages to handle that scene in this movie where he go he goes up into the like into the big house and he's like, What the hell is going on? And he starts like yelling for Bane. He's like, Why am I not CEO of Wayne Enterprises? Is Bruce Wayne sleeping with Miranda? What's happening? He just goes on this rant, and that that's just became like my most like this is the hilarious things are worse than ever scene for this movie. And thank you, Ben Mendelson, for giving me that. <laughs> no more dead cops. <laughs> uh, well, that just goes to my my theory that, that well, it's not a theory. The 25 minutes when Jim Gordon is dead in The Dark Knight is pretty awful. It's very campy. The, the acting is mediocre. Uh, and yes, the action sequence, the truck chase is terrific. But even in that scene, the acting is pretty terrible. Even by Heath Ledger, who basically chirps and corps like he's Cesar Romero for a couple minutes. Ooh, no, I love no, this no. job. Ha, ha, ha. No, um, no, I would not. Uh, yeah, I don't agree with that. No, I don't not, not, on the, not on the Ledger count at all. But Bruce... If you turn yourself in, they'll never let us be together. But anyway, no, no, I, I, I agree with that. And my only problem with the, with the Daggett character is he's obviously Roland Daggett from the animated series. Why do you call him John Daggett just to be annoying? Why well, call John Blake John Blake and not Tim Drake or yeah. Yeah, anything? Blake. John Blake, Tim Drake. I just got that. Wow. Really? Really? Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I knew he was dropping with John Blake. I was like, oh, you motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> I figured as I was watching the movie that it was, you know, somewhat of a Tim Drake character, but I didn't get the name on. Thank you. And they've done that before. Like in Dark Knight, you had, you know, a Montoya who wasn't Montoya. And even in Batman, you know, Burton's Batman, Lieutenant Eckhart is obviously Harvey Bullock. Yeah. Why they don't call him Harvey Bullock, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, minor annoyance. Uh, uh, here's a question. Um, what would this movie be like if Heath Ledger had not passed away and there was still a Joker in this movie? It would have been I awesome. Think it would have been completely different. Yeah. How 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 would he have been factored? Like, because I'm trying to think of like what would Gotham be like? Would he release him from Arkham and let him also roam? Or would Bane also let him roam well, around? Or? I don't think Bane would have been the villain. I think it would have been the Joker. <laughs> he just kind of take these. Like, all right, good job, Bane. I'll take it. Well, I mean, if you look at the, if you look at the ending of the, the Dark Knight, there's that wonderful line where Heath Ledger says, "I think that you and I are destined to do this forever." Yeah. And you know that um, if Ledger I think... lived, I mean, oh my gosh. I so, like we can start speculating, but maybe the opening cold open for this movie would have been him getting out of Arkham in some elaborate breakout sequence. Or you possibly could have had a Bane Joker team up. Who knows? I figured he would have been just like the judge role that Killian Murphy's playing in the. Thing. But then again, I'm like, well, Joker wouldn't be restrained enough to just kind of hand out sentences to people. Yeah, <laughs> I think he'd um, like even in another aspect, he would almost join up with Batman because he doesn't <laughs> like how Bane. It's because it's too, because it's too organized. It's like people with their plans, you know, how he had that little um, monologue in the hotel. Well, I, I think he would disapprove because Bane is, is, you know, taking over the city and killing people and, and doing damage to Gotham rather than letting Gotham do damage to itself. But to answer your question in a more broad sense, I honestly think that after Heath Ledger died, uh, Chris Nolan did not want to come back and do a third one. I think, you know, come what may, he took, took Heath Ledger's death very personally. You know, I, I can't judge him for that. And I think some of the screenwriting flaws, in my opinion, are basically because he kind of didn't entirely want to be there. But I think, you know, they they financed Inception. And I think, pure speculation here, he agreed to mentor Man of Steel with the idea that his brother might direct it. But that didn't turn out to pass for whatever reason. Um, because his brother's and, a, not a director and this is, man, yeah. this is a Superman movie. Exactly. I, I think, you know, he thought that they would take a chance on him sort of as a thank you, and Warner Brothers said, no, you know, we, we have a limit of what we're willing to do for you. How about um, we give you Flash? We'll give yeah. Superman somebody else, yeah. Um, so I think, you know, he kind of had to think up an entire idea off from scratch, not having Ledger around to sort of use, and I think, you know, and if you listen to his interviews and whatnot, you know, he's always talking about, you know, the visuals of the film, the scale of the film, that I think... He really didn't want to tell another, you know, he didn't want to go back to Gotham, but he's there. They're paying him a lot of money. Maybe there's a part of him that doesn't want somebody else to finish up his work. So, you know, he kind of concentrates on the visuals of the film. You know, he concentrates on the technical aspects while, in my opinion, giving short shrift to the script. So what kind of movie would it have been if Heath Ledger had been alive? I think A, a very different movie and B, a better movie, just because I think he would have wanted to be there. He would have been happy to be back rather than the ghost of Heath Ledger, you know, haunting him at all times. Pure speculation, but that's how I feel. I feel that the... You can't really guarantee that even Heath Ledger would be able to pull off what he did in Dark Knight again. Um, that's true. I'm fairly fairly confident he would have, even if he hadn't been quite equal to what he'd done in Dark Knight, it would have been damned awesome. I I, I would hope. But again, I, I, I believe, and this is pure speculation, and from what I've read and what I've listened to, et cetera, et cetera, that my at least my issues with the movie stem from the fact that 
on some his heart wasn't in it. And that's where I think a, a lot of the, you know, sprinkle some epicality to make people think it's relevant, but it's not really stuff comes from. That, you know, it's, you know, Batman Begins is a relatively apolitical movie, and I think people were expecting politics purely because of The Dark Knight. And in my opinion, the film, it was relatively apolitical. And my only problem with that is that it pretends to be political. So I, I don't know. I, I don't know what kind of, what the third movie would have been if Ledger had been around, but I think it would have gotten Chris Nolan's full attention this time around, as opposed to, in my opinion, his sort of a half-hearted enthusiasm. Well, I'm curious what he does next. Uh, yeah. I, I, don't, uh, know, I don't know. Insomnia 2, still dreaming. <laughs> no, well, uh, I just don't like thinking about the what-ifs with the Joker and Heath Ledger, because it's a movie that's never going to exist, and it's something he's never going to tell anybody about what they have planned. No, and I... I, I just... I don't know. I don't think it's our business to know what he had planned. Uh, were you? Were all of you comfortable with him not mentioning the Joker at all in uh, Dark Knight? I, I thought it was kind of weird. I but... can understand why it wasn't. I was surprised. Okay, so here's another thing. Let's let's actually get into this because I was I wasn't necessarily surprised, but I was I was I enjoyed the idea that Batman Begins factored heavily into this movie because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people after the Dark Knight want to think about only the Dark Knight, and it seems interesting to me that the Dark that Batman Begins played. I mean, you need to. It seems like you you need to see that movie in order to understand that the Dark Knight Rises essentially, and it yeah. it feels it feels like the, he he wanted to he he really wanted to bring this whole thing full circle, and it very much mattered, despite the fact that a lot of people kind of not necessarily forget Batman Begins, but it's certainly been overshadowed, I think, in re- by oh, yeah. the Dark Knight. So I found it interesting that the Dark Knight, besides Harvey Dent, really doesn't matter much in the grand scheme of things. Uh, yeah, and that... I would consider the first half of the film to be like maybe the first act of the film to be the sequel to Dark Knight, and the last two acts is just, it's all the sequel to Batman Begins. Well, I would agree with that, and maybe that's why I enjoyed the first act more because, you know, regardless of which one film I enjoyed more, I have always have a, a slight pet peeve with sequels that act like the other sequels didn't happen. You know, like for example, you know, Die Hard three and four basically act like Die Hard two and three didn't take place, respectively. You know, yeah, was, Die I was, Hard. I was... I mean, I, I wouldn't have minded a throwaway line, you know, mentioning the Joker or something, but um, I totally respect, you know, Nolan's yeah. reasons for doing it. I mean, just as a person, I mean, his friend died, and he that was something he plays he couldn't go, and he couldn't do that. So, I mean, I would have been fine with it, but I respect where he was coming from. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't want to say I don't respect where he was coming from, but I think the film is slightly harmed just because we constantly reference Harvey Dent, we constantly reference Rachel Dawes, but we sort of tiptoe around who did that to them. You know, who was really responsible for all this, you know, what, you know, what, where we are at the beginning of the story. Yeah, the chaos. Um, and as far as, yes, he was his friend, but I have to believe that Heath Ledger would have, you know, the show must go on. You know, I mean, I, I would imagine most actors would feel that way, that they don't want whatever comes next to be less than it could be because of sensitivity toward whatever happened to them, if that makes any sense. Um, and I think, you know, again, I I believe that Chris Nolan made a decision that wasn't in the best interest of the movie because of his personal feelings. And while, you know, I understand that, as a person criticizing, you know, judging the film, criticizing, you know, critiquing the film, I have to hold him, the filmmaker, accountable for that. Because I do believe that it kind of, at times, sticks out like a sore thumb that nobody ever seems to remember the guy that, that, that caused all of this to happen. Without the Joker, there would be no debt act. Without the Joker, Harvey Dent would be alive. Rachel Dawes would be alive. Batman would still be running around Gotham. Without the Joker, 
you know, none of this would have happened. Um, and I believe as, you know, as a critic critiquing a film, I do believe it's okay to hold the filmmaker responsible for making that decision, which was not in the best interest of the film. Here's my question. Mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't really pertain to the Joker, but just another thing that just popped in my head. So it's been eight years since Dark Knight. Why does Christian Bale have a limp? Exactly. See, Adam has this too, but I think, okay, so... No, 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 no. I'm just curious because Thomas Lennon with a great little cameo told him he had very little cartilage or no cartilage at all. But how is it that he can... It's really cool how they fixed it with that brace. I'm like, oh, that's really neat. This, but, is, this is where I came at, at that with... I mean, beyond like... I mean, yeah, you just have to, you know, reach a little bit, which doesn't bother me. It's not like a huge issue for me of how he got a limp. But at the end of Dark Knight, he does take quite a fall and he gets yes. injured. And then he also hangs up the cape. And Cowley basically, he stops working out. He stops being Batman. He stops doing anything he needs to do to gain the strength that he's supposed to have to be the symbol of protection for the city. So he just, everything, yeah, all the... Because <laughs> Alfred feeds him right. But, um, I mean, he, he, he just, he stops doing anything that involves him to, to be in the proper shape that he needs to be in. And because of that, all the damage to his body just kind of builds up. Things um, drop he, out. He is limping at the end of the Dark Knight when he gets on his, his bat plane. Yeah, he, he takes that so big I fall figured, down from the... Well, yeah. because he got stabbed. Not, well, he, no, he got, uh, he got shot, the but then he also... Got, I'm sorry, yeah, I'm sorry. he got shot, and then but then you're he also thinking, you're thinking he also tackled. Yeah, shot. Yeah. Hey, look, it's Abe. Sorry. What? Hi, Mr. Moore. Um, no, you're thinking. Hey, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like falling right in the conversation. We're talking about Harvey Dent at the end of Dark Knight. So yes, Batman. Yeah, falls down. Yeah, Harvey Scott, Dent. Scott, yeah. Scott, Scott, okay. Scott, what were you saying? Oh no, I was saying you were thinking because he got stabbed in the leg and yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. I messed up. Um, which intentional or not, I thought that was a nice accidental reference to that. Which you know, you could argue that. You know, John Blake is actually Terry McGinnis, but we'll see. <laughs> um, Abe, anything in particular that you wanted to talk about in spoilers, even though we've been going on for quite a bit? Uh, I'm sure you guys already covered the, the Bane thing, and now he's a, like a, a puppet to Thalia. Yep. Who? Yeah. Bane. Bane. Oh, wait, Bane was in this movie? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Actually, just yeah, real quickly, did. I think Scott and Adam, you guys were the ones that disliked it a little bit more than everybody else, or Alan, what are your thoughts on it? I really liked it. Okay, and then Jordan, you really you loved it. I didn't love it. I liked uh, almost loved I, it. I guess. Honestly, Abe, I think I'm the one who likes it the most out of all of us. I like it. A lot. I like. I, I think it. I've, I've been I've been certainly talking about the various things I've been nitpicking up, but they are just nitpicks to me. It's all, yeah, it's, I don't. The yeah. majority of it's been all splitting hairs because I really do like this movie. And I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. It I was really entertaining. Yeah. Now, it, while I say it's entertaining, I also I wouldn't use the word fun to describe the movie. No. Really, I had a lot of fun with it. I'm just also there are very scenes tired. I had fun with, but like if I if like someone to ask me how the Dark Knight Rises was, well, if someone asked me that question, I'd give them a very long and detailed answer because that's kind of my nature. <laughs> but if I was to, if I was to try and boil it down to some words, fun is not one of the ones that I'd like immediately come up with. Oh no! Opposed to some Avengers, it's yeah, fun. In, in the summer where the Avengers exists, like you can't say that the Dark Knight Rises was like, oh yeah, it was a rollicking good romp. I had a good time with that bat caper they got into. Like, it was funner than Prometheus. It, it, it was funner than Prometheus, correct? I it it was disagree. less fun than Batman Forever. It, it is less fun than Batman Forever. Batman Forever is fun. The Dark Knight, like the Dark Knight, I could use fun in that way. I mean, as dark as it gets and as menacing as things are, and things get worse than ever. I mean, it. <laughs> I, I would still, I would still put the word fun in my description of Dark Knight, just because that movie just worked for me throughout. If, if if I may backtrack a moment, you bring up that that line, "things are worse than ever." I have to say, the version of that in Batman Begins has always been Jim Gordon's extra expository and covering Gotham with this poison. 
Well, Rachel Rachel says that line in that movie too. She's like, Bruce, things are worse than ever down here. Like it, <laughs> it's like, it's like I feel like that's a David S. Goyer line. Like that's like a line he had, and he just like loves putting it in the scripts and stories. But I would argue she delivers actually delivers that pretty well. Uh, you know what I've always felt I, is I, I I have problems with it. Like I was watching Begin, I was watching it a couple times. It kept coming on. And I was watching <laughs> Begins, and I have problems with that whole sequence of her and Bruce Wayne going back and forth. It just feels clunky to me. Um, it's it's um, it's 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 moralistic exposition, and it's very hard to deliver convincingly. It is, and I think one of the reasons people dump on Katie Holmes unfairly, in my opinion, is she gets a lot of those lines that are. You know, unless you are Morgan Freeman or John Hurt or Michael Caine, you might not be able to sell that Michael stuff. Caine. It's a, Michael Caine. It is not. It's the, like I, I am nothing against Katie Holmes, and I kind of described this the other day with Jordan and Alan when we were watching Batman Begins. It's like it's not that I dislike Katie Holmes. It's just I relate. I equated her to the action. The action in Katie Holmes and Katie Holmes aren't necessarily bad in Batman Begins. I just think the things around them are better. Yeah. Um. And her one big scene with yes, Batman that's one way to look at it. is pretty silly. Where she um, tases a dude. Where she tases yeah. Judge Killian Murphy in the face. <laughs> uh, Michelle Pfeiffer style. <laughs> yes. I, or I when she say, tases Batman. Yeah, yeah, when she tases Batman, I'm sorry. When she gets mugged on the subway. You know, who are you? What do you do? I'm the line. You rattled their cage. <laughs> Not exactly his best acting either. It wasn't. Um, it's because he keeps sticking with the cage rattling metaphor. <laughs> Dude, he's Batman. He's learning what he's doing. Let him get his metaphors. Um, I know, yeah, I guess. <laughs> so that's what that um, like. I thought Gary Oldman in this film kind of, I mean, he was very good, but especially in the second half of the film, he kind of reverted to his, you know, Robin Light persona that he was in Batman Begins, where he's almost kind of clumsy, I, uh, where, he's, where he's forced to perform certain goofy action stunts. I'll, I'll say this, because I, I, I've told all of you this, I think, at some point. Gordon is my favorite character in the Batman universe besides yes. Batman and in terms of, like, good guy characters. I love Harvey Dent, too. Like, he's my other, my guy. But I was going to be, if, like, I was incredibly worried about Gordon in this movie, and especially early on, because I, I was really, like, even though, like, in the trailer you see him in a hospital bed, you, he could have easily been dying in that scene, in that teaser. So yeah. I was concerned that Gordon was going to die. I was really worried that, like, in that opening or whatever, the early on scene where he gets captured by Bane's goons, I was incredibly concerned about Gordon's life, and I was, like, going to be crying in the theater if Gordon was, like, dead or was, like, <laughs> approaching death because of, like, internal bleeding or something because Bane punched the hell out of his kidneys or something. I was just, like, I, I, I wasn't going to be able to handle the death of Gordon. So I was really happy that he stuck around throughout this entire movie. Um, I can handle the death of Gary Oldman in anything. <laughs> yes. In fact, I expect... <laughs> I expect the death of Gary Oldman in everything. <laughs> no, he's, but it's the new millennium now, so he's turned that That's new leaf. Oh, he's, he's yeah. not the villain no. anymore. <laughs> like Sean Bean, it's like, yeah, I know. Exactly, he's passed it over to Sean, Sean Bean. Yeah, yeah, Sean Bean, like, you can kill him all you want. I'm, I'm fine. Yeah, Sean Bean, you take him out. Yeah, clone him, kill him. I don't care. <laughs> Gary Oldman now, I was, like, incredibly worried, concerned for the life of, of Jim Gordon. Well, there was a big chunk where, you know, uh, Lucius Fox and Miranda Tate were... were basically hostages, where I thought she was going to turn around and kill Lucius Fox at any moment. That would have bugged me, too, but not as much as Gordon. <laughs> that would have really bugged me. Because yeah. I, I like Lucius Fox. Yeah, oh, yeah. We, we, like Lucius Fox. But sometimes you got to kill Randy. <laughs> um, uh, but no, I figured Gordon was okay because they pretend killed him the last time. Yeah, that kind of that fool me once, shame on you, I guess. But exactly. um, I will get it. I know Adam apparently hates the scene, but I do. The, the theme of of Batman revealing himself to Gordon is I, I love that scene in this movie I love it I mean, it's, I, sweet. it's because it, yeah it's sweet it, I think it encompasses everything that Batman's trying to do in him like basically saying to Gordon what 
what Batman is, and then while also providing him who he is. I just I love every aspect of that scene. And he's it's never and Adam, you're saying like he takes time out of his out of you know the minutes before the bomb is. Like, hey man, you got sixty seconds. He's to get constantly the bomb he's constantly and moving the, during it. Like he's and con- the one he's thing a, that you do is you stand tell a guy he doesn't stand still. Like, hang, hang, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. He's in the motion. Hang on. He's like getting. He's getting I know you're the host. Maybe the host, but hey. No, he tells I, I will say done. that you know what wasted more time? The kiss with Anne Hathaway. Yeah, like, that was whoa, whoa, this is, that's not necessary. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Come on, he may be Batman, but he's only here. Never waste time by kissing Anne Hathaway. Yeah, but that's I mean, I'm with it. I was down with it, but I'm thinking, like, there's like 60 seconds left. He's wasting he 10 seconds him. kissing Batman. He tells, you know, he tell, it's really kind of forced the way he tells Gordon, and he tells him something he should already know. I don't, that's, well, I don't disagree with both. I don't, think, um, I don't think he'd already... Well, you, I think you're, just the, you're just the host, Aaron, so who cares? What? <laughs> I think what made it better for me is that they had the flashback to Batman Begins, and, yeah. you know, Batman... Because we're all dumb and don't remember that. Uh, <laughs> have you seen some yeah, of the kids that go like, see this movie, Adam? They I'm are sorry? stupid. Have you seen some of the kids that go see this movie? They are stupid. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Oh. So I am fine with the flashback. He had a plenty of business while he was telling Gordon this. It's not like we watched a five-minute sequence of recapping this whole thing. I mean, we we watched a, a small clip of young Gordon putting the damn thing over. It was literally three seconds. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, three fine seconds. With, I'm fine with a little flashback. I just I didn't care You just for hate the, everything I, that is good. <laughs> it's, I wow. Thanks, 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 Alan. I knew no, I could count on you. Like I, I thought it was a little silly that Gordon had to say, Bruce Wayne... Um, you know, because again, we you know he's we get it. He gets we get that he gets it. But I love the idea that the, really the last thing Batman does is say to Jim Gordon, who's really lost everything, you know, who has suffered the most of any living character in this series. Yeah. You are my hero, hmm. and that is why. Oh I'm wow, that that even makes it he, a bigger impact for me. He, he was yeah. the Batman. Yeah. Good job, Scott. Yeah, yeah, that was blown. good. Um, I'm sad now. <laughs> I was also kind of like I kind of. Like he, he says, his wife, or they said they say his wife left him. He never really acknowledges that point. But I was also kind of thinking, well, maybe just he got her out of the city, just out of her own protection. Um, no, she left. Him. No, she uh, left. Well, nobody, but, nobody but, goes to Cleveland voluntarily. Well, tech, tech. <laughs> well, nobody goes to Cleveland voluntarily. Um, if you've watched, if you've watched Thirty Rock, I believe there's only there's the, it's, that's one of the happiest places on earth, Cleveland. But <laughs> re- regardless, I mean. His son does know that Batman did save the day. Like maybe he just wanted to legitimately get him out That's of the city. That's true. His family oh. presumably, hey, oh, not just his son. The whole family knows the truth about Batman. I mean, maybe yeah. they just wanted, just what you want. You legitimately wanted them to be out of the city and not have to worry about the. The constraints of hiding a lie that's protected the city for the eight years. And, I don't know. I could buy that his wife was just, you know, fed up with having to, you know, watch him and everybody else play him the guy that tried to kill their kids. And I, I, I would argue there really wasn't much of a threat of them, you know, telling it. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's true as well, because they were in eight years of peace before the League of Shadow decided, well, Gotham yeah. might as well get destroyed now. But. And what lack of impact that revelation has, by the way. Oh, yeah, other like than, when, yeah, when Bane reveals other the Other than thing. Jim Gordon, you know, basically defending his actions, you know, half-heartedly. It's a good scene, by the way. It's probably the only time Oldman really gets to act in the movie. You know, it, it really has no effect to the rest of the... Mm, you know, the rest of the movie. Yeah, he still seems to be police commissioner at the end of the film. Um, and, and I mean, yeah. clearly everybody's going to believe the word of Bane when he starts saying he's speaking for Gordon, you know? Yeah. Gordon's not willing to deny the truth. And I was kind of confused at how shocked John Blake was. Exactly, yeah. Because he's Batman. Does he, yeah. you know, does he assume that he killed Dent? And if he doesn't, 
if he does, then you think that would come up? Why'd you murder Harvey Dick, dumbass? It's a it's a strange it's a strange amount of outrage for such a serious situation. I mean, they don't really have the luxury of being able to say, "Well, oh, I can't believe what you did." Yeah. It's like, no, no, you guys are about to die unless you do something. You've got to, you know, keep yourself focused here. You know, I I do think it's kind of funny that the the one big, you know, arguably the one big death of the film involving a reoccurring character, you know, the mayor who gets almost killed off screen and no reference whatsoever to him being dead. None whatsoever. Anyway, that surprised me. I, I think that's something that we talked about yesterday. Yeah, Abe, go. Oh, I, was like, I think that uh, goes to something that we talked about yesterday, too, on the on the spoiler-free podcast, about how there's a lot of that time gap, which could have explained a lot of the, the uh, I guess, the backing of what happens to Gotham in yeah. that five-month period, and that really could have been explained. I think that we all kind of thought, if that, if that, if some of the characters had been scaled back and some of the storyline had been played out more, that would actually would have been okay. Yeah, which is, well, and yeah, 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 we were kind of talking, brought that up before, but uh, yeah, uh, that's okay. yeah, we, yeah, yeah, we, we essentially kind of agreed with that. Um, well, I would, I would argue, and you know, coming as someone who didn't particularly like the film, you cut out, you cut out Matthew Modine, yes. you, you, arguably cut out, um, frankly, you cut out Miranda Tate because let's be honest, she doesn't bring anything to the story. I think you cut, you cut out just uh, the other Wayne Enterprises. You cut out you cut out yeah. Daggett or, or his henchmen. You put that you yeah. turn that to like one character and don't make him as much of an impact. Yeah. And you know, just by that alone you give you buy yourself an extra half an hour of screen time, give or take. And you you find you find John Blake something more streamlined to do in the second half that doesn't really amount to I failed, we're all gonna die anyway. And I just it's 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 I'm frustrated because I, I feel that Nolan made the wrong editorial choices in terms of what to cut and what to keep. Because, you know, a lot of my problems with the film in the second half is, again, it doesn't focus on the, the people of Gotham. And it almost feels like Nolan listened to a lot of the, frankly, in my opinion, whiners that, oh, no, I didn't want, we spent too much time with the people on the ferry in the Dark Knight. Well, no, that's the emotional climax of the movie. That's why the movie is, you know, that's what makes the movie more interesting than a conventional comic book film, is that it is about collateral damage. And I think intentionally or not, it feels like Nolan listened to those complaints and kept his focus on the big stars to the film's detriment. And I think if he had cut some of those quote-unquote big stars, either A, you would have had a shorter, more streamlined film on principle, or you would have had more screen time to flesh out other characters. And we'd also get rid of the unnecessary love scene that makes no sense whatsoever in the movie. Yes. I think that's just you know one of several elements of the film where, once again, Chris Nolan either needs to make a James Bond film or just let it go. You know, he, have, James Bond he did. He yeah. made Inception. Yeah, exactly. You know, okay, we get it. James Bond has sex with a woman ten seconds after meeting her. James Bond villains throw good guys into death traps in which they can easily escape instead of killing them. But this is not a James Bond film. Um, I mean, even, but ba- I mean, in the co- come on, in comics, Batman's been thrown into situations by by villains in the past where he can easily escape. Eventually. I mean, this, yeah, but I would argue not in this universe. Yeah, this is a very different type of universe. I felt that the film, you know, I, I've never bought the whole, these films are so realistic, blah, blah, blah. But again, look at the last 20 minutes of Batman Begins. But I think there's a, they, they have a grounded fantasy. They are grounded fantasy that I would argue bits and pieces of Dark Knight Rises does not follow its own rules. Uh, it does not respect the authenticity of the world that Nolan has built in the first two films. I do agree that this is the most comic booky of the trilogy. Yes. And I mean, because you have, you have a scene with three characters all wearing costumes interacting with each other. But... Yes. Hey, was um, anyone amused that uh, William Devane was the president? I was. Yes. President. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. I was wondering if he had a hook for a hand. <laughs> at, at first, I was just like, what? 
I was like, is that supposed to be the president? Because, like, why is it Willem DeVay? Because I was like, that's, like, such a random choice, William DeVay's president. Oh, there are a lot of random casting choices throughout these movies. Yeah, I've already talked about Matthew Modine. <laughs> and uh, Roddy Scherbigdae as the homeless man. Oh, and Batman Begins. Yes. Yeah, yeah, Sporting yeah. Force the Blade. <laughs> yeah. With the coat. <laughs> I, was, I was disappointed that Bat Dark Knight Rises did not... Did not, you know, have him rise up as one of the <laughs> one of the protesters. That was all with Bane wearing. The See, that would have been a nice bit of continuity. Yeah. yeah. I also had, um, I actually had trouble understanding Gary Oldman a lot of the time. Really? Me too. There, there were um, a handful of lines where I thought, wait, what did he say? Gary Oldman. Yeah. I never really. I never have a problem yeah. with Gary Oldman. I, yeah, I thought I, I, I thought his big speech to Joseph to Blake was kind of muffled when he confesses. I, I agree. I, really? Uh, yeah, I didn't find any issue there. I. Bane was still, he was 90% audible to me. Yeah. There was a couple Batman lines that I didn't hear either. <laughs> what'd you guys think? Because we didn't, I didn't really ask um, you guys. What'd you guys think of Anne Hathaway in this? We haven't really talked about Anne Hathaway that much. But. I liked her. I thought she was terrific. You know, she worked perfectly as a plausible Catwoman in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, big, yeah, big fan. And, you know, I, I, you know, obviously it's no secret I have a thing for her, you know, so to speak. But even aside from that, you know, I'm sort of, amused by other people that thought, oh, she wasn't right for the role, she's, you know, not sensual enough. It's like, it's called acting, people. She can probably pull it off. And I I, I think she is as good in a very different way as Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer has a showier performance and arguably has more to do because it's, a, it's more of a transformation type performance. But I think in this world that Nolan set up, his Catwoman is as good as it could have been. I agree. I didn't like her sidekick, though. You didn't like Juno Temple? Nope. I like well. Sure. I liked her because of the, it, it made sense to uh, it. Like it felt like it called back to um, Batman Year One. Just, yeah, and the Ed Brubaker stuff. Yeah. And again, it's it's a nice you know inserting of a comic book character just for the sake of hey look, this is Holly Robinson. You know her from the comics. Or she doesn't have a major part here, but she's there for 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 sort of decoration for shading, uh, local color, if you will. But no, that didn't bother me at all. Partially because, again, I knew who she was. Yeah, and she was probably a great whore, Jordan. I mean, let's not... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and there's a scene where she gets really close to Anne Hathaway, and I thought, wait, are they lovers? What's going on? She's her her dead mother. (laughs) Yeah, Could have been like Black Swan all over again. It's a very maternal relationship, at least if you're going by the comics. And again, if I may, you know, nitpick, it, it sort of bothered me, you know, all the various... You know, Catwoman is a lesbian, blah, blah, blah. Not that I particularly care, but again, it sort of plays on the meme that anytime you have two characters of the same gender that have any kind of emotional closeness, you're like, ooh, they're secretly gay. Obviously, this is more, you know, for, you know, male stuff, you know, ooh, you know, Sherlock Holmes and and Watson are obviously gay. But the problem is what that teaches is that, you know, people of the same gender, you know, anytime they, you know, their their friendships cannot be emotionally, you know, emotionally fulfilling you know, if I mean, really I, my, my, my own thing is like I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine with gay characters. What I don't like is sort of this arbitrary way that some characters are like, oh, they were gay all along. Like, well, no, these are these are traditional. Like, like, like if suddenly they made a, a gay James Bond, I mean, that just you know, would be an arbitrary arbitrary thing when the character very clearly had been uh, heterosexual, and it wouldn't have worked. Like, for example, for a while when they were saying that uh, one of the major DC characters was going to be gay, I mean, I was kind of on edge with that just because I didn't like the idea of characters with a really heavy established history suddenly just arbitrarily being gay just for the sake of having more gay characters. Um, Should have been the Joker. <laughs> that would have been crazy. 
Well, I, I've always argued the Joker is pretty asexual. Yeah, he is. Uh, I have, I have, I have, I have a tough time picturing any modern Joker having, you know, romantic feelings for anybody, uh, other than maybe Batman. I, I only picture mm-hmm. Joker just pounding Harley Quinn, and I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm just. <laughs> stop. No, no. So even then, I think, I think that one's more of a he sees her as a daughter kind of relationship. Well, I think the big question is how does Dark Knight Rises compare to Leonard Part Six? <laughs> Jesus. Uh, better. I would argue. Uh, better not, acted. Not as good as Ghost Better Dad. action. I would have to agree with that. Ghost Dad <laughs> has a stronger emotional core. We actually care whether or not the Ghost Dad actually becomes a real, you know, living person again. The Ghost Dad. I say it's somewhere in between Kazam and Steel. Steel. Yes. <laughs> Steel, arguably the second best DC movie ever made. <laughs> No, I, it's, I enjoy it, the anti-gun message in Steel. I think there's something to that movie. Wow. This is no, this is no, this is no Pearl Harbor. Exactly. Oh, I'm serious. I'm I know. See, that's serious. why Adam, that's why it's annoying because Adam's serious about that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then all this started. Well, how would you guys think Christian Bale did as Bruce Wayne in this film? I think it's his best performance as Me Bruce too. Wayne. Me too. Yes. yes. I think he really kind of nailed it. it. Took him three movies, but he. Nailed it. I don't think he's. I don't think he's been bad as Bruce Wayne. I just think he's, he has, he's just. He's just great in this movie. <laughs> well, I think this. I think this is his best work. Then begins, and then I think his weakest Bruce Wayne was in Dark Knight. Just because he does, he's not the main character in Dark Knight. Yeah, yeah, he kind of doesn't really do anything. Kind of, he's, really he doesn't kind of have an arc. Kind of ambivalent about his Bruce, his Bruce Wayne in this one. Didn't really. No, you know, thought, didn't do all that much for me. I thought Lucius Fox kind of got pushed to the side. It was unfortunate. I mean, I wasn't annoyed with that just because, I mean, if you had more Lucius Fox, then we'd be complaining even more about how the other character, how all the characters were just kind of given a little to do because there's so many of them. Well, rather new characters working time than some characters already familiar with. Like, Alfred only really has, like, three scenes. Yeah, but there's a, I mean, there's a reason they why. Matter. I mean, yeah, I mean, we've already talked about They're amazing how, scenes, how yeah. Dag and, yeah. How Dag yeah. and the other guys don't really... I mean, I'm annoyed by them just because they're really, But I mean, having people like John Blake or Catwoman, like, they factor heavily into the story. But yeah, I know we're saying with John Blake could have been scaled down a little bit just because he's given so much to do in this movie. It, especially since we don't... I mean, it's not like there's going to be a Robin movie. I mean, so it's like we really didn't need all this set up for the John Blake character if we're not even going to, you know, see him again in some spinoff feature. No, I agree, I agree with them. That was when I mean, you know, I think he's terrific in the film. I like his character, but again, you're right. It's a, it's a backdoor pilot for a, a TV show that we already know didn't get picked up. That right. said, if there was like a Batman begin like a Batman Beyond movie coming out and it had jo- Joseph Gordon-Levitt in there. Now, the the side B is that Joseph Gordon-Levitt is so prominent because there's somebody up there at Warner that wants to use him for Justice League. And that Which would, you I know, basically can buy him as Batman. That'd be uh, a neat way you, to go if you wait. You get to have your cake and eat it too. You you disconnect Justice League from the Nolan universe where it wouldn't belong, but you keep the, you know, the Batman character from, you know, connected to the Nolan world, so it doesn't negate those films from continuity. At this point, so then, make just make the Justice League movie with Batman. It's, I'm, it'd be it's, just, just reference him in the background. Yeah. I don't know. You think they can do that? I mean, that's, that's their key player. I'm, that'd be like, That'd be like doing Avengers without Iron Man. Well, t- I mean, t- I mean, if you want to get down to it, you could have Justice League without Superman or Batman. I mean, just, <laughs> just, just. Well, sure. I mean, if you wanted it to suck, it would make sixty million dollars. Well, it's like it's like um, it's like having an event. Okay, well, they, it's having Avengers without having Spider Man or the Fantastic Four in any capacity or Daredevil or. Wolverine. That's pure speculation. I think that's going to be the gambit for part two. Is they're going to find a way to get Spider Man and Wolverine into it. 
because that's really the only card they have left to play in terms of general moviegoers. So it's not like the you know the general moviegoers are going, wow, Mongol or whatever that guy was at the end of the you know pre credit sequence. Mongols, Rhino. Rhino. Wait, the air. That, wait, who's the guy? <laughs> I'm saying it's Rhino. Rhino. No, no. <laughs> uh, who's the guy that shows up at the end of the Avengers? Oh, yeah. oh Avengers. Thanos. Yeah. Thanos. Dark okay. Dark Side. Oh, yeah, Thanos. Yeah. It would. It would be like the end of Batman Begins, where Joke, you know, Batman turns over the plastic bag. And it's a calendar page. Ooh. <laughs> that is true. Now, of course, if you want to do it like Amazing Spider-Man, where he turns over the plastic bag and we don't see what's in it. Wait, wait, wait. I haven't seen Spider-Man. No spoilers. Trust me, it doesn't give away anything. Okay, good. Except Peter Parker dies. So, so, so someone isn't revealed <laughs> at the end of Spider-Man. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, no. There's a person that talks at the end of Spider-Man. That's about it. No. And, no. I know. My heart, is, my heart is breaking. All right, I think we should wrap this up because we've been going for quite some time here. And yes, we have. Abe's going to have a Let's lot see. of fun digging through all this. But, um... That's on <laughs> There's at least 40 and... minutes of usable stuff here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At least uh, five minutes is mine. Unless you wonder if they got further in here too. Um, but uh, let's go. I guess let's let's go of overall ratings just to just to do that once more. Um, where we you know kind of go on to when you should go and see this movie. And you know, I, I like I know like because I know Adam, you're disappointed in this movie massively. And I know Scott, like you actually Scott, are you? Would you say you're disappointed in this movie? Or you just like how? how... Uh, yes, I, I I gave it. You know, I, I waver. You know, arbitrary letter grade aside, I would have to say overall. I did not like this film. I didn't loathe it. I didn't hate it. I'm not going to be foaming at the mouth over it. But overall, I was very disappointed that I didn't even like it. I was not expecting to love it, as I said, you know, toward the beginning. But overall, yes, I didn't like it. Okay, so what? in what capacity would you recommend people see this movie? See, that's the toughie because of how the film was shot. I mean, it's IMAX. (laughs) Yeah. If you're going to see it, see it in IMAX. Jordan, where would you you put this one? Like on a plane on on that screen. (laughs) Well, uh, IMAX, of course. Alan, where would you recommend people go see this movie? IMAX. Okay. Mostly because you have to see it in IMAX to really kind of get the scope of the uh, cafe in Venice. Yeah. Or Florence. The only way you're really going to understand the immersed that, idea That's the spinoff I want to see. I want to see just Alfred's, Alfred's, Alfred's Holiday. Oh, my God. If he met up with the people from In Bruges, and, I'm down. And Mr. Bean. Oh, man. <laughs> Be fun. Okay. I th- any any other final thoughts on the Dark Knight Rises before we wrap it up? I didn't think it was ever going to meet the expectations that people were putting on top of it. It was unfair um, for people to think it was going to be better than Dark Knight or as good because they're just so it's just they're two different movies. Um, but I liked it. I enjoyed it. I think it's not the absolute best ending to a really really good set of films, but I think it's adequate enough to kind of uh, to kind of bring everything full circle and just make it one solid. Filming, filmmaking, film experience. Can't talk. Cinematic experience. Thank you. I think um, from beginning to end, uh, with all three movies, it'll be a really good cinematic experience. Does anyone put this film above Dark? Uh, I'm sorry, Don. Uh, Batman Begins, in terms of how they rank this series. I kind of assume, besides Jordan, who I know likes Batman Begins more than Dark Knight, does anyone put this film above Batman Begins? No. No. I put it at the same level, almost. The same level. Yeah. yeah I think I. I... Probably put it same level. That's kind of where I'm at too, but for just for different reasons. Just because, as Scott kind of said earlier on, I think that uh, both move, about Dark Knight and Batman Begins. I think Dark Knight Rises and Batman Begins both do things, do different things good and do different things badly from that are separate from each other. So, all right, then I think that's gonna do it then for our spoiler-filled discussion of the Dark Knight Rises, which is 
very long. <laughs> so we'll wow. I'll, I'll be curious to see how this one turns out in the final entity. But um, my uh, wife's gonna kill me. <laughs> as will I. <laughs> so with all that said, that's going to do it this week for Out Now, Farron and Abe. You can find more of my work at my personal blog, thecodazeek.com, where you can find all my written reviews, as well as at whysoblue.com for all my Blu-ray reviews, as well as my coverage for Comic-Con this past uh, week. Uh, you can also find me at Twitter at twitter.com slash Aaron's PS3. Abe? Uh, you can find more fun stuff at facebook.com slash outnowpodcast. <laughs> Thanks, Abe. Um, Alan? <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at MrDVD, or you can find me on Instagram at Aldo, A-L-D-O underscore Rain, R-A-Y-N-E. Jordan. You can find me on Twitter at AmsterdamChap or DamnDirtyBlog.blogspot.com. Adam. You can find me at my website at Things I Know About the Movies, located at www.everythingyoualwayswantedtoknow.blogspot.com, at MovieSmackdown.com, and at Twitter.com slash ILTwinAnarchist. Scott. Uh, my home site, Mendelssohn's Memos, which you can Google. Um, Scott Allen Mendelson at blogspot.com uh, Twitter Scott Mendelson uh, I do I syndicate with Huffington Post and Valley Scene Magazine uh, follow me on Twitter like me on Facebook and think of me often <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that think of me think of me I don't remember the words why do we fall down um, so you can find all the other episodes of Out Now with Aaron and Abe at iTunes also at hhwlod.com along with the other shows on that site about movies and comics and games and stuff always fun with those other guys as well you can also find most of the newest episodes at outnow.podomatic.com and you can also find some exclusives there including a recent interview i did for comic-con and um of course email us at outnowpodcast at gmail.com we'd love to hear reactions to you know what you what you listeners think about the dark knight rises and whether or not you agree with some of our uh, any of our opinions in particular or any other further thoughts you want us to expand upon in you know future installments of the about now or you know what have you just you know nice to get emails um, uh, let's see. You can also, of course, follow our Facebook page at facebook.com slash outnowpodcast, twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. All the updates, what have you, will be located there. Um, I should also make notice of the fact that um, Scott, Jordan, and Jim Dietz, we all participated in a uh, Batman Forever commentary, which should be already available, but I'm just going to put another shout out to that now because those are just fun to do. They are fun. And they're uh, blessed. Yeah. And I believe Jordan. Alan and I and maybe Abe will see and whoever else we can get into this. We have something very special coming up for Step Up. That's all I'm going to, I think I teased this yesterday also in the previous episode, but something special for Step Up is going to happen besides us talking about the fourth movie. So I'll just leave it at that for now. But yeah, I think that's going to do it for this week's episode of this week's bonus spoiler filled episode of Out Now, Aaron and Abe. So thanks all of you guys for coming on and especially for the hour that we're at right now of talking about this. Thanks for the, uh, uh, for the opportunity, guys. It was great. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. It was a, uh, uh, obviously, as always, a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. That's going to do it until next week when we talk about Step Up Revolution and maybe The Watch. So uh, until next time, so long. And goodbye.
How are we all doing? Answer all at once. Yeah. Uh, 